This is the Masters of Cinema cast. My name is Joachim Thiessen, and today I have two guests with me in this very special wrap-up episode. Craig Skinner from Bleeding Cool, thank you for joining me again. No worries, pleasure to be here. And James Marsh from Twitch Film, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Okay, so before we go into 2013 of Masters of Cinema, I thought we could just look at the 2014 new releases that they will be releasing in the first quarter. And uh, the first two in January, one of them we already knew about, the Computer Chess dual format release. It will have some exclusive interviews and uh, a pretty uh, decent booklet from what I could uh, say. And I caught this one on Netflix and um, it was uh, an interesting experience. Have any of you two seen it? Uh, Yeah, I've seen it. Um, I think we talked a little bit about it last time. Um, Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of it. I think it's got it's got a lot of good things going for it, but I think it's a little bit uh, off balance tonally, and I think mm. it, it goes for that kind of mumblecore comedy vibe, but then it's got some weird surreal elements that don't really sit very well together. Mm. Craig, what about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it as well. I I enjoyed it, and uh, I certainly find parts of it very entertaining, but I'm not sure it really amounts to much. I find it quite interesting and quite fun to watch but yeah not nothing grabbed me or stuck with me afterwards about it really Mm. um the artwork for this one i think is uh quite decent uh the like the old school 80s uh, video game artwork yeah i think that might be reason enough reason enough to buy it on its own i think i think it could could Mm. well be its best feature have any of you picked up the um the poster that they are selling no no. no, I I like the I like the poster a hell of a lot, but I don't like the film enough to hang <laughs> it on my on my wall. I don't think uh, if it was a poster for a different film that I liked a lot more, I definitely would snap it in a second because it's yeah, it's a really cool poster design. But mm. yeah, I've uh, with limited wall space, that's not one that's going to immediately make me pick it up. Mm. Um, the other release in January uh, that will be the uh, Wellman film Wings. Uh, which is a uh, what they call the first Best Picture Oscar winner. And uh, this one will have uh, a couple of documentaries and uh, a booklet as well. Um, I haven't seen Wings. Have any of you two seen it? I can't remember if I've seen the whole thing or if I've just seen clips from it. But uh, what I have seen or what I remember seeing is certainly enough for me to want to sort of go back and reassess this properly. I think it should sit quite happily alongside sort of Sunrise or something like that. It's mm. um, It looks a pretty meaty package. Sunrise being the other other winner from 1927, I think it was. Yeah, they gave them rather weird names. It wasn't quite Best Picture, was it? I can't, I can't remember quite without it looking like, it up, but they had... Yeah, sort of outstanding contribution to cinema or something strange yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I haven't seen Wings... Uh, I, same as James, I think I've I've definitely seen clips from it, um, but I missed uh, the restoration when it played at the London Film Festival, and I was quite annoyed. So I'm quite glad that it's it's finally come back round. Mm. Um, what do you think of the cover for this one? Uh, I think uh, that's something I'm going to come back to uh, during this uh, podcast is the covers because uh, the uh, the quality I think is uh, varied. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll go along with you there. Um, I think. This one, it looks reminiscent. I don't know whether it's some, it's uh, drawn from the original poster art or something like that. It certainly uh, looks familiar, but 
it's I don't know, it's not a deal breaker for me, but it's not it's not no, amazing. No. Yeah, the the film's the thing, but uh, yeah, I do, I do think actually with the ones that have been announced recently, the covers aren't quite as uh, good as previous ones. But mm. uh, but yeah, it's it, it's cool, and you know the film is the thing, so it's not not going to sway me too much from not buying it or anything like that. No, no, indeed, indeed. In uh, February, we will be getting uh, three releases. Uh, one is a re-release of the Lubitsch in Berlin box set, which will contain six films by Ernst Lubitsch. This has already been released in DVD, but this will get a Blu-ray upgrade. There was no uh, covers for this one, but hopefully the special features uh, will be ported over. There wasn't as much of uh, information for this release. Right, yeah, I almost missed this on the announcement, actually. I think... I think they tweeted about it, but it wasn't on their press release or something. And so hmm. I was, it kind of slipped me by. But uh, I'm not sure I've seen any of the films in the package. I can't find the list to hand at the moment. But, uh, you know, the Lubitsch I have seen was, was a lot of fun. So I, I think this could be pretty uh, pretty promising, pretty good fun. Yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to picking it up because when it was originally uh, kind of running out of the stock I kept kind of hovering with my finger over the buy button and never actually bought <laughs> it so I'm, I'm quite glad it did. uh it's getting a re-release I was gonna say are you one of these people where you're not buying anything if it's only on DVD now and that uh you're just gonna wait in the hope that it gets an upgrade to Blu-ray certainly when deep talking about something like Master of Cinema um I'm certainly less inclined to buy things on DVD <laughs> I haven't bought many dvds in a long long time but some things i mean when something like iron horse came out that was a pretty easy buy but um yeah i, I don't find myself buying dvds very often because there's so many blu-rays that i want to buy but uh yeah they kind of fall down to the bottom of the list and also yeah I, I at the back of my mind i think well it could only be you know a few months and then we could get a blu-ray of it so you just know it's going to be the next week it'll, it'll be announced as, yeah. soon, as soon as you get it through the door it'll be off <laughs> But it is interesting that um, they are, uh, or many of the DVDs that they have in their catalogue, they won't be getting a Blu-ray upgrade. So uh, what will happen to those films? Will we ever get them in a sort of digital format, some streaming availability, or will they just be lost in the ether, so to speak? It's kind of the same thing that happens to some degree with VHS, where they seemed, some films still seem to be slightly lost because mm. they haven't made the leap. And, uh, yeah, I mean, th something like the Naruse box set is something that is terrible if that's just gone and forgotten. Uh, and there's, a hunt, you know, so many DVDs that haven't made the leap to the Blu-ray yet. So hopefully they will or they will, like you say, pop up in some other place that we can watch them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if there is an equivalent of sort of a Hulu Plus channel or something like that that I know Criterion uh you mm. use as a kind of catch-all for everything but um i mean has has master of cinema actually made a formal announcement that they're not going to bother because i mean some of their very recent releases have been upgrades haven't they i mean like the nosferatu set and things like that so oh yes indeed yeah i mean are we I'm, I'm thinking like in general mm. most of the dvd releases won't be either they won't be restored or yeah Right. There's no, there's no, um, there's no market for many of the DVDs uh, being upgraded to a Blu-ray. Right. I mean, I could certainly make a list of ones I'd like them to. But, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess the alternative is yeah, hoping for some kind of digital alternative. I think for for Masters of Cinema though, the impression I've got from them uh, for quite some time now is that they're not interested in that at all, and they they've been kind of seemingly quite. 
uh, against the streaming options and the download options. So I'd be surprised okay. if they go in that direction. I think it'd be quite a quite a big move for them. And hmm. I don't think many people would be expecting that really because they've always seemed so against it. They also have seemed to be quite against uh, rental uh, companies hmm. like Love Film as well. Obviously, they pulled all their discs from Love Film. Uh, I think it was about eighteen months ago. So, so yeah, I'd be I'd be quite surprised if they went the digital route. Hmm. With regards to purchasing DVDs, I think I I don't buy any uh, Masters of Cinema DVDs, but that I think I would be inclined to buy more if they share the same spine number as Criterion does. Uh, that way, my like collection insanity would kick in, and I would try to pick up all the DVDs as well. Yeah, it is strange, isn't it, that they've got a completely different sort of number system for the two. It's as if that mm. you know we're supposed to completely disregard anything that's come out on DVD. But yeah, my my OCD kicks in pretty pretty seriously <laughs> when I've got them sort of sitting next to each other on the shelf. Um, so uh, the Lubitsch will be released on the February 10th. Uh, on the 17th, we will be getting Federica Fellini's Roma, which will be a pretty uh, stripped-down release of uh, just a uh, outtakes and the film itself and a booklet. Uh, I haven't seen many Fellini films, but I, in my uh, catch-up of 2013, I saw the um, La Città della Donne uh, Blu-ray, and um, it made me uh, very very um sleepy mm, uh, <laughs> and yeah or sleepy i, I, I was uh, sort of disgusted with the portrayal of uh, masochism and women and in the in that film so i'm i'm, I'm pretty aware of uh, fellini's uh, older age shadow yeah i've not seen roma either but um you know i'm curious I, again i i tried to watch well i mean i got through it uh earlier this year as well and I found it was a bit of a chore compared to some of mm. the other stuff because it, it is more sort of surreal and it's more of a kind of sort of dream journey rather than any particular sort of narrative and uh, yeah I don't think I particularly warmed to the main character or to his sort of ideals I guess that's the point you know he's going through a kind of uh, attrition if you like and he's you know you're supposed to warm to him as it goes on and and realize his his faults as he realizes them, but yeah, I mean, I struggle with that one. I mean, I think the only ones I've seen are Amacord, La Dolce Vita, and Eight and a Half, which are mm. all fairly accessible. I, I thought they were all quite sort of easy watches, so this one was a bit of a surprise. But I was just going to say they seem to be picking up the slightly oddball ones, though. I mean, things like La Strada as well is a bit more accessible, but mm. uh, from what I understand, Il Bidone, I can't really pronounce yeah, Bidone, any yeah. names very well. <laughs> uh, they seem to be slightly less accessible uh, films that they're picking up. They're kind of maybe second tier. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just as something as simple as the rights are cheaper, maybe, or, or the rights are available, mm. <laughs> uh, something like that. Or I wonder if it is that they've just got a slightly more sort of idiosyncratic taste and uh, they're deliberately trying to challenge their their fans a little bit more. I'm not sure. I suspect it's probably a mixture of the two, actually. <laughs> it mm. could be. I, I do enjoy that they are putting out more of these uh, more obscure films rather than the... Uh, that, well, I wouldn't mind Amacord coming to Master of Cinema, but I do appreciate the fact that they are bringing these uh, lesser-known Fellini films to uh, Blu-ray. Yeah, sure. I mean, my, my big love of Master of Cinema really originally was 
about discovery and it it kind of still is that they mm. release films that even by directors that i think oh i'm quite familiar with them and then they announce a film and i'm like oh i that hadn't even got on my radar somehow so mm. it's uh it's great to see them releasing the smaller films really that maybe might get missed by the companies that go for the big hitters generally mm. so Mm. That will come up talking, I think, I imagine, probably 2013 quite a lot because there's been quite a few examples of that. Mm. The uh, the cover for this one, I think, uh, was slightly disappointing, a bit boring and nothing eye-grabbing, I feel, in that. And and I feel like the, the text, it's taking up too little space. It's just kind of squeezed up and at the top of there. I rather like the image, though, uh, the kind of the founding of Rome image. Uh, but, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's not that eye-catching but I, I kind of do like the image that they've used hmm. the next release serpico that one i feel like they really missed the ball they, they've they've used simply a poster for the film and i mean it's serpico they could they could do so much better with this film yeah i felt the same way actually it's, it's a, such an iconic sort of 70s movie they, they could have gone in so many different directions with it and it's like hmm. yeah here's al pacino's face and it's just like, nah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I know that I know that that's the image, and um, you know, and that and that's always been the the poster and the image associated with the film. But you know, when they have the option and the freedom to essentially do anything that they want, I mean, I think there was even a um, I don't know whether it came out at the time, but it was certainly quite prolific. A, a version of that image that was almost had that two thousand and one eyeball effect, you know, where it was like a kind of. Um, almost like a negative image, but using colors. I don't know what you would call it. Uh, so it was, it was kind of just a psychedelic rendering of that that image. And even something like that, I think, would have been more interesting than this. It's just so so drab. I mean, I suppose one option would be to go the, the Arrow films route and do like reversible covers and have more than one mm. option. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, guess, I guess it all comes down to a, a budgeting and all, all sorts of more practical issues like that. This release will be getting... Uh three uh, video documentaries uh, and a booklet as well. And it will be released on Steelbook uh, as well as a Blu-ray release. I can imagine as well that in terms of the design, I, I mean, I'd just kind of repeat exactly what you guys said. So I feel the same. It just looks a bit dull, really. But mm. the Steelbook might actually oddly look a bit better because of the, the sides and the top. The, mm. the fact that the Blu-ray case is going to make it look a bit weird. I think that the Steelbook, at least where it's black all around perhaps mm. might mm. might improve it slightly yeah i guess one big plus point is that there's a real sort of crossover opportunity here to pull in a number of you know uh to have this be like a real lead seller for them so next yeah. year you know you'll get a number of people picking up this title who wouldn't normally gravitate towards this label or towards the films in this label and um it could you know, it could become a bit a big a big hit for them in its own right, but it could also you know up the awareness of of the collection as well. So it could be uh, promising for the future. Mm. Yes. So there's an element there as well where I can imagine they maybe don't want to alienate the people who just walk past and notice mm -hmm. his face and uh, the yeah. name surf go and just pick it up because of that. If they had two kind of I don't know uh, artistically odd uh, uh, front cover, that might put off your regular consumer who's just looking for a dvd of serpico or blu-ray of serpico mm. it's the most recognizable as we said so it could be a, a tactical decision uh so these were the, the three releases in february and we get another three releases in march with uh, francesco rossi's uh, hands over the city uh, a dual format release 
which are is a pretty um, slim down release. Uh, not much uh, additional extras, but they they did say that there are more extras will be announced. I've, I've never heard of this uh, film. Have any of you? Uh, no, not really. I've heard of it, but that's about it. I mean, I've heard of Francesco Rossi because he's he's got something in the Criterion Collection, doesn't he? Something about mm. a film about bullfighting or something. I can't remember what it's called. But no, he's yeah. not somebody I'm familiar with. But I quite like, if if not the artwork itself, I quite like the intention of the artwork. I like the idea behind mm. it of having the hands kind of mirror the skyline of the city. I think they were on the right track. I'm not sure if that's exactly where I would have stopped. But... uh that's right. It, it shows it shows intent and promise. <laughs> <laughs> it has sort of. A, I feel like it has a sort of soul bass feel to it, mm. but uh, not yeah. quite there. Yeah, it's like an attempt at soul bass rather mm. than yeah. a fully realized one. The next cover is the one that I'm most disappointed with. It, it is uh, Sam Fuller's White Dog, which will be released uh, in dual format on the 24th of March, and this font is uh, horrible. <laughs> I feel. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably the one that I, I feel like they this had most promise along with Serpico but I feel like White Dog it, it eludes so many pitches in my mind that I felt like this one could have um, it could have gotten off better mm. yeah I think my uh, my excitement about the fact that we're getting a Blu-ray of White Dog overcomes all of that mm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just really really excited when I saw that news I think that was probably my uh, the most pleased I was with all of the announcements was about White Dog. I'm quite a big Sam Fuller fan. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of that cover. But, um, yeah, I'm willing to swallow it if uh, if we get a great Blu-ray. Mm. Yeah, it's not a film I've seen, actually. And I've been, you know, I was hovering around that Criterion DVD for a long time. I think if they'd brought it out on Blu-ray, I would have bought it a couple of years ago. But uh, as it is, all the better. I can get it from uh, Master Cinema. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to finally seeing it. But uh, the cover, yeah, it's it's a white dog. Okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like a rabbit as well. <laughs> yeah, it, it has it has those ears. So yeah. <laughs> um, so the final release is uh, one we already knew about. It is Ted Kotcheff's Waking Frights, um, which is a dual format release. And uh, this artwork I really do like. Yeah, this is my favourite artwork of, of all this this new batch. Definitely, they've showed some, mm. you know, some imagination, some real flair, and uh, it's a it's a bizarre yet incredibly striking image. I love these sort of this sort of army of kangaroos looming over it. It's, <laughs> uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, this is definitely my favourite, and it's a great film. So I'm really really happy. Yeah, I've not I've not seen the film yet, uh, but quite a few people have recommended it to me and told me that I'd like it. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. But um, yeah, again the. The cover's pretty cool for that one. Mm. I don't know how, in what way it relates to the film. I'm assuming quite quite well, but um, I'm looking forward to seeing that, definitely. It will be getting a uh, a couple of video pieces and interviews, and as well as a audio commentary by Ted Kotcheff and the editor, Anthony Buckley. So, uh, And this is from a 2009 restoration, so mm. hopefully it will look uh, pretty decent. Yeah, I think it was... I think, I think it's the same one that... Oh. No, I think I think it was that Scorsese oversaw it or had something to do with okay. it. I think, and uh, it's probably the yeah, same I think version. So it's that... the one. <laughs> I was going. I think we're going to say the same thing. The same one that came out in the states. I think. Yeah, that Draft House Films um, brought mm. out last year, and it was it was cool actually because before they brought it out, they showed the film at Fantastic Fest in Austin two years ago, and I go over to that every year, and uh, they brought Ted Kotcheff 
along and so he did a big introduction and mass a long q a afterwards and uh he's a he's a fascinating guy and uh, uh you know he's canadian and he was out there working in uh, in australia and it's got donald pleasance in it and people like that so it's a, it was a real mishmash of talent from all over the world and it's uh it's a real one-of-a-kind sort of exploitation survival thriller thing that uh that yeah you couldn't really repeat it today and uh it's 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 great that it's survived and survived in such good condition or or that it's now available in such good condition so i think this is a a, a great choice to uh spice up the collection a little bit the final announcement that Moss of Cinema made was a release in May, which uh, already has been released on Criterion. It is uh, Robert Altman's Nashville, which will be getting a dual format release. Um, we don't know much about the special features and such, but um, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's one of the few Altman films I haven't seen. so And it's a pretty seminal piece of uh, film in his uh, filmography. Yeah, I was just about to buy the uh, Criterion. Uh, when I saw this news, so uh, that kind of stopped me from buying that one, and I'll wait for Masters Cinema instead. But mm. uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in some time, but I'm looking forward to watching it again, definitely. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same position. I was I was probably minutes away from buying it, and uh, so I was like, <laughs> okay, I will stop. And you know, I've never seen it. Um, it's one of the big. It's probably the biggest Altman film I've never seen. So um, mm. yeah, very excited to to, to know when I'm going to see it now. So that's cool. As a piece of uh, non-Master Cinema uh, news, but related to Eureka, they are releasing the San Cassavetes film, Kiss of the Damned. Have any of you seen this one? It's sort of a B-movie vampire flick. Yeah, I've seen it. It's uh, it's all right. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can kind of mirror that sentiment as well. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah, I like some of the style. Uh, yeah. mm. it, obviously, it's dripping in it at times, but I... I enjoyed some of that, but I'm not sure I uh, I found much to hang on to hmm. in general in the film. It, but the, there's certainly some style to be in, to enjoy. This it's got a great soundtrack too. The yeah. poster art well, works fantastic for the film as well. Indeed, uh, it's very much about how it looks and sounds, and uh, in terms of that, it being enjoyable, I think, rather than having a great deal to say, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. It's not it's not like the deepest vampire film you will find, but uh, I really did enjoy the. Uh, the like Euro trash style and uh, the score is uh, incredible. Yeah, right. And are those three or four people that were worrying where Milo Ventimiglia went uh, now no. That's where he is. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's not very good in that film though. In Kiss no. of the Dams, it was a big. Uh, true. It was a big gamble putting it on his shoulders. I think. Uh, and also the um, the was it the French girl playing the uh, the sister in the film um, was the one that was grading on me as well. Mm. Yeah, the performances are certainly uh, one of the trickiest and uh, kind of weakest parts about that film. I think mm. they they fall flat a lot of the time, but, yeah. mm. but there's enough going on around them that makes <laughs> you kind of keeps chugging along anyway. I think. Mm. Okay, so um, that was pretty much it for the uh, announcement for 2014. I think we can go into looking back at 2013, where we had uh, only one DVD release, which is Spine Number 122, the complete uh, existing films of Sadao Yamanaka. Uh, have any of you picked up this copy? Uh, I have not, so I can't comment on it. I have a copy, but I must confess I have not looked at it at all yet. Mm. So... Uh... It's because I mean, one of the the main feature on it was released on its own previously, wasn't it? 
is it called humanity and paper balloons or something like that yeah 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 yeah, so, yeah. yeah. and that was yeah with, that got a, mm. a solo release and so yeah they've just thrown uh thrown that back together with everything else that like as they say was uh was still available still existed and uh so yeah it mm. looks like a I think it's about three features altogether, or, or um, and some pieces, but yeah, uh, yeah. It looked it looks uh, fascinating, but slightly daunting at the same time. It's something I really wanted to put aside a weekend and just go through the whole thing and see how he's evolved and you know check out what themes are running through it all. But I just haven't found the time to be honest. Yeah, it's one that I pretty much did the same thing. I kind of put to one side and thought, right, I'll tackle that at some point, and it. Uh... Is unfortunately sitting in that pile of many films that I mm. think that about, and I'll probably get to when I uh, when I have no work or something. <laughs> <laughs> Can actually sit down and watch a load of films, <laughs> and I'm not doing some ridiculous 2013 catch up at the end of the year, or something, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, now is not the time. No, not no. at all. <laughs> As for the other formats, we got uh, four Blu-ray only releases and uh, four dual format releases, and then we got eighteen which were both Blu-ray and DVD or single Blu-ray upgrades. But do, do you think that we will get any more of these DVD-only releases in 2014, or do you think that they are, they are moving towards more dual format or Blu-ray only? I, I think we're still going to get DVD-only releases because I think there'll be those films where it's... I mean, a Blu-ray is still incredibly expensive to author compared to a DVD, so... Hmm. I think they're still going, and also if the the quality of the materials that they have aren't really up to much, I think to avoid the disappointment, uh, they mm. might put them out on DVD. I think there's still going to be those odd examples, like we got things like Colossal Youth, which I can't imagine ever would have got a Blu-ray release, and and like I said, Iron Horse as well. There'll there'll be the odd ones I think where they'll pick them up, but I I think they're going to be a rarity uh, yeah. in 2014. But I can't see them going away uh, because as well. DVD still sells incredibly well, um, quite mm. bizarrely, I think, but people are still buying it. What I don't understand is where you see uh, Blu-ray only releases. I, I think that's a little bit unfair on people. Um, I think the way forward really is, yeah, I mean, DVD only if you don't haven't got the elements or if it's if they don't think it's going to sell up to uh, up to, up to the, the the appropriate numbers. But other other than that, I think dual format is the way to go, and I think everything should be pretty much released that way certainly i mean if you look at like serpico i think it's coming out just as just as a blu-ray and yeah. i don't and i don't really see how they can justify that to be honest i mean how much i imagine that i imagine that one probably is though to do with rights because i wouldn't be surprised if it there was some sort of odd stipulation in the contract considering it's such a big film about about them not having dvd rights as well i'm assuming they the two separate Mm. Um, considered two separate elements, or someone, somebody's still still got the DVD rights, and so and they haven't expired yeah, exactly. in time. So that could well mm. be. I can't see any other reason. I can't, I can't see any sort of tactical reason to do it. It could be because um, Serpico has been available on DVD uh, for some amount of time, and sort of putting it out on DVD again for the general customer wouldn't be as uh, intriguing as seeing a Blu-ray of it. Perhaps, maybe I don't know. Mm. But I, I can't imagine the cost being that much different putting out a dual format release um, as opposed to a Blu-ray only release. No, well, it, well, exactly. I mean, yeah, how mm. much? How much? I mean, how much more expensive is it just to rip a Blu-ray, a <laughs> rip on DVD and put that on? <laughs> but I think it must be a sort of a lingering rights issue. 
but it's hmm. frustrating nonetheless. I mean, yeah, as I said, if I had it my way, I'd, I'd like everything, you know, whether it's Master Cinema or, or whatever, to come out dual format just so that, you know, with a digital copy as well, so that when, when you buy it, you've got it, and you, then the choice is yours to watch it however you, you want. I thought that was the whole point in the first place. And we see that six of the eight releases uh, announced for 2014 are dual format. So it seems that they are already they have surpassed their number of dual formats for 2014 as opposed to 2013. So it seems like that's the way they are going. Excellent. I thought we could just go through each quarter, um, month at a time, uh, and then just comment on the releases that we feel were the most important. So whenever we come by them. In the first quarter in January, we got the uh, the Blue Angel, a dual format release. And uh, this was one of those that I had to catch up with when I was preparing for this episode. And it was one of the most pleasing experiences I've had. Incredible film, actually. And one that I feel that not many people are talking about. Yeah, it didn't quite get the attention that a lot of other releases are. And sadly, I'd, I, I've seen it before, but many, many years ago, and I didn't get a chance to catch up with it again and check out this new release does the transfer is the transfer for it very good as well yeah it looks uh, really good there's some grain and there's some um there's some distortions but it looks good for uh for its age and uh i don't think you can find a better uh better quality transfer elsewhere yeah i mean it was not a film i'd seen before i, I did i did see it on their their disc when it came out and uh yeah for its age it certainly looks very well it's not perfect but they've done a, a bang up job of restoring it um mm. i think that, yeah the film's very good it's a very interesting story i hadn't seen much of marlene dietrich's um sort of german work but uh it's funny that you you used the phrase that it was one of the you know most enjoyable experiences because i've got, <laughs> I've got to admit at the end of the day i found it incredibly depressing and bleak um you know a very enjoyable good film, in the but, terms of discovering it sure Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, I get, I get what you mean, but you know, and it's quite fun along the way because it's dealing with this sort of uh, the nightlife and the and the club life and this idea of mm. sort of secret uh, relationships and uh, you know idolatry of of uh, sort of uh, risque women and this kind of thing. and you think okay, this is going to be quite fun and a bit naughty and a bit risky and it's going to be it's going to be quite entertaining and then it just spirals into this sort of <laughs> despairing story of a guy whose life just falls to pieces and uh, by the end, I was a, a shell of a man. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was a surprise. Yeah, watching him sitting alone there in the classroom at the end, uh, it's pretty depressing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's it certainly stayed with me, uh, but yeah, perhaps not for the reasons I was anticipating. The other release in January was uh, Stanley Kubrick's first film, the um, film that he wanted to disappear, Fear and Desire, and. Um, it it is one of the films that I've highlighted uh, from the first quarter, just in point, in terms of its importance in like film and uh, how important it is to uh, make available all the films that uh, we can. Basically, uh, the film itself is um, it's forgettable in some ways, but uh, it is a Stanley Kubrick film, so it is always interesting to watch it uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's certainly important as a catalogue title to be there. Mm. But um, yeah, it, when you watch it with Stanley Kubrick in mind, it does make it a slight trudging affair because you're like, wow, this really isn't anywhere near as good as what he <laughs> then later went on to do. And there's quite a few aspects to it. I mean, the voiceover, I remember thinking, was just 
just kind of awful at times, just really telling you things that uh, needed to be communicated visually or or even were being communicated visually, but then you've got someone telling you as well. Mm. Um, but there's, you know, it, there's some nice framing in it and uh, there's some, certainly some good ideas that you can see coming back later, but I can, I can see why he wasn't a fan of it and didn't want people to see it necessarily. But, um, and I, that did present kind of a quandary with me where I did stop and think to myself whether, whether it was fair to watch the film when the director had said that he didn't want anyone to see it. Um, it's kind of an interesting situation for you to be presented with, but, Mm. um, (laughs) the temptation was too great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I feel the same way. I mean, you are, it was, it was the same thing. Remember what, just after Kubrick died and, um, Clockwork Orange got hastily re-released in the UK after that, because that was always, you know, his decision that he didn't want it to come Mm. out. And then his, his wife or family or whoever were just like, yeah, but we like money. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we're sure we're sure everybody wants to see it. Um, yeah, I mean, so the, the, the debate is, is interesting, but I think I think everybody at the end of the day is going to veer on the side of, yeah, but we want these. And, you know, we want it yeah. out there and the completist and the collector in, in all of us is going to is going to be happy to have it. But, um, yeah, no, I have to echo your sentiments as well. I mean, as a as a film, as a standalone piece of work, you're, you're just like, yeah, so disappointed. I mean, the, the leap in quality from this to even to his next film, Killer's Kiss, is is incredible. Mm. You know? mm. And it was only a couple of years, as far as I understand. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something I, I find his work, uh, you know, pretty rewatchable. And, and some of them are my some of my favorite films. But. Yeah, this one I'm I'm more than happy to have it on the shelf and never talk of it again, and you know just <laughs> and, and just have it have it there. I think I'm more likely to go back to those short films. I don't know. Did you watch uh, like Seafarers and the, the I can't remember what it's called the boxing one that's on Day there of the well. Fight. Day of the Fight. Yeah, I mean I'm I think I'm much more inclined to go back to them because they're kind of more realized ideas hmm. that kind of come together and uh, hmm. you can definitely sense his background as a times photographer. Um, Definitely, but um, but to... I, I just sorry, just so yeah. one thing to go to what James said about the having them there and it getting released in Clockwork Orange. I mean, the thing as well is that Fear and Desire was on. You know, people watched it on YouTube or or on video, and Clockwork Orange. I live in the UK, and I had Clockwork Orange on video with Iranian subtitles or bootlegged <laughs> from somewhere. So it's it's not like these things just don't exist and so it's not the day the clown cried um mm. it they were out there so it's i'd much rather that if someone was going to watch it like i'm sure stanley kubrick i don't know i'm not going to put words in his mouth obviously but i'm sure he would kind of feel the same sort of line that if someone is going to watch it at least watch it in its best possible circumstances but um mm, sure. watching a film on a terrible vhs rip or on youtube or something is an awful way of watching a film so so at least there's a decent Blu-ray of the film, even if, even if we uh, perhaps shouldn't be watching it in a way. Definitely, that's the first first um, way I saw Clockwork Orange as well. I think it was a Cypress uh, VHS. Schoolmate <laughs> of mine lived in Cypress and brought it over. And uh, yeah, there, there are better ways to appreciate his work for sure. Yeah, exactly. In February, we got three releases. Uh, one is La Chita della Donna, which we already talked about. Um, not a fan. But um, yeah, it looks it looked great though, didn't it? 
yeah, it it did look right. Uh, the transfer is uh, incredible and uh, sound and everything, but uh, just uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Craig, <laughs> what did you think? <laughs> um, it's not one I caught up with actually, but okay. uh, I it was on my pile to go through yesterday, and I got about three in, but I didn't get to that one. But um, yeah, you guys haven't really infused me to go and watch it straight away. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the next film was um, the upgrade of uh, Only Baba, which uh, James and I recorded an episode with. Um, a great film. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about that at length. Uh, Craig, what did you think about uh, Only Baba? Yeah, uh, yeah, I echo pretty much everything you guys said. I remember listening to your your podcast and just nodding quite a lot. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a fantastic film. Um, it definitely stands out, and I was very happy to see it getting an upgrade. The final film was uh, La Poisson, uh, the Sasha Guitry film, and uh, this one I find it was an um, like very accessible, easygoing, uh, fun film that um, just an enjoyment to get through. Yeah, this one's an absolute pleasure. I, this might be the most fun I've had with the Master Cinema release this year, I think. And uh, the, uh, I'm sure we'll come to it later, but the the kind of one two punch of that and the Murderer Lives at Twenty One. Yeah. Uh, they're just two really rollicking good times. Like Le Poison's, I didn't see where it was going, even when it was actually quite obvious. And it, it's very witty. The central performance is fantastic. And uh, yeah, it's one of those discovery ones where I, and it probably would have taken me a long time to ever get around to watching that if Master Cinema hadn't released it. I don't think it would have been high on my watch list just because mm. it. I hadn't heard anyone talking about it really. But um I was incredibly impressed. Yeah, very, very funny, witty. And then when you look at the background that uh, he has suspicions uh, kind of cast upon him surrounding collusion during World War II, mm-hmm. and it adds this kind of deeper, far more interesting le- level to it as well that, that you don't ne- necessarily need. It's just an entertaining film, but um certainly adds to it as well. Mm. Yeah, I just got to echo everything you said. It's not something I knew about. I don't think I'd even heard of the director before until they announced it. And uh yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's like a, a an Ealing comedy I'd never heard of or something. It was it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, really dark gallows humor to it, and yeah, great performances. Really sort of smart writing, and uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Loved it. Very dark ending as well. Mm. Which is but, always f- good. but funny, but very <laughs> very blackly <laughs> funny. But the, there was a, a box set of his work. I think Criterion put out uh, a couple of years back. Oh, was it one of the was it one of the eclipse box sets? It was, yeah. It's all of his pre-war, well, not all of uh, some of his pre-war stuff, I think. Uh, But yeah, DVD only eclipse set, I think. Okay. So, out of the five releases in the first quarter, which one would you pick up if you had to pick one? Uh, Onibaba would be my my number one pick out of those, definitely. I think that's probably the best of the the ones released, but I think. uh, if I was recommending one, I'd recommend Le Poison in the in a heartbeat because it's. Uh, I can't imagine anyone sitting down and watching that film and not enjoying it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, Onibaba is probably the best best of the releases. Um, uh, Onibaba, I, I feel like Onibaba is the best film of the bunch. But I feel the best release of the bunch was uh, the Blue Angel, with just in terms of packaging and uh, the amount of supplements and uh, contextualizing it. Uh, Tony Rainsk is a great commentary on that one. For the uh, the second quarter, we got seven releases, and um, 
two of them were already released on uh, Criterion. It was the uh, double punch of The Bow Search and Le Cousin, the uh, Chabrol films. And I, I really, I, I picked up the Criterion when they were released, uh, I think last year or a couple of years ago. And uh, they really grabbed me, especially Le Cousin. Uh, that was one that um, I feel like it sort of helped start the French New Wave movement. Craig, what did you think of the uh, the two Chabrol films? Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't re-watch... I'd seen Le Cousins uh, quite a while ago, and I didn't re-watch it, but I re-watched uh, Le Beau Surge, because, uh, well, I think re-watched. I couldn't actually remember if I'd seen it, and I don't think I had, but I absolutely loved that. Um, mm. Kind of very uh, bleak when... Uh, a bleak film, in a way, if you're in your kind of 30s, I think, and you're, uh, this idea of going back to back to your hometown, it's quite interesting. I watched The World's End very shortly after watching Le Beau Surge. And <laughs> oh, well. They oddly have a kind of a, an, a a through line between them of this kind of going back to your hometown and finding that everything's slightly different. And uh, yeah, I think uh, Le Beau Surge was quite a surprise to me. Not a lot darker than I was expecting from Chaprol, I think. Mm. I think I'm more familiar with much of his late films aren't quite so quite so downbeat but um yeah it's incredible two performances as well from the two leads um it's incredible that Lebeau Serge is his debut film and it's such an stunning piece of film mm, yeah yeah just such a bold bold first film to make I mean the second he walks into the town at the start and it just feels absolutely like you're there mm. uh, and you're with him it's uh, it's very convincing filmmaking definitely and as well, I, I'm not I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, some of the more playful uh, French New Wave filmmaking. So <laughs> to see uh, uh, this film where it's, I think, more traditional in some ways, I was actually a big fan of. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a bit wary going into these. I hadn't seen either of them before, and I'm not a huge French New Wave fan. I guess we all came to it a bit too late, but... Uh, what I what what I did appreciate was uh, watching the two films uh, sort of back to back because obviously they were made quite you know they were made almost the same way and I just loved the reversal of the two characters you know where you know having having the sort of the, the the good guy and the bad guy sort of uh, the, the way that the actors sort of switched over and it re- quite reminded me of um, a, a Korean a couple of Korean films that did that recently, The Chaser and The Yellow Sea, were the same director, and they took the two leads, and one's the hero and one's the villain, and then switched it like a year later. And I loved sort of seeing the versatility of that sort of group of people working together. And here, obviously, it's happening fifty years earlier, but in another part of the world. And uh, no, it, it was it was mm. great. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that the bow, the bow surge feels incredibly mature and incredibly sort of world weary in a way and uh you nailed it comparing it to the world's end yeah that i hadn't thought of that at all that's that's brilliant but then the Le Cousin is is a far sort of more cynical film i think you know it's mm. uh, although they're using a lot of the same people it really felt like a different person making making the two films the voices are very uh the, the viewpoint the world view is, is incredibly different between the two films and i thought that was very interesting seeing how his uh, his technique was changing and how his opinions were changing within such a short period of time. So I think they they're definitely two films that need to be seen together. I think, and uh, mm. I think you, you get a lot out of it that way. But uh, but yeah, I was I was very happy to, to uh, be able to experience them like that. 
the the final release in April was uh, a film that <clears throat> has made my top five of the year. It is uh, Bakumatsu Tayoden, uh, which was released in Blu-ray and DVD. And it, it is um, a pretty stripped-down release, but it is such a great film that I had no expectations when I put it in, but it's such an enjoyable, funny, incredibly well-made, and uh, looks incredible as well. Mm. James, I know that you put it on your top uh, top six films of the 2013 releases. Yeah, I had to cheat, but uh, I, yeah, I really, <laughs> I, I really liked it as well. I mean, it was, I think, like like most of the rest of the world. I mean, it was something I'd never. It was a film I hadn't heard of, and uh, you know, so I, I came to it completely fresh with no expectations. And it's, uh, yeah, it's such a, a sort of a fun time. You know, you've got this really likable humorous sort of central character and then using this brothel as sort of a microcosm of everything that's going on in Japan both at the time that it's set and at the time it came out I think it's it's really clever the way it sort of plays on two periods like that and uh and yeah and it looks gorgeous too I mean I've always been had a bit of a soft spot for the whole sort of sun tribe movement as it were in Japanese cinema and, and you don't really see this kind of sort of period film coming out of uh, were coming with that sort of sensibility, and so it was. Uh, it was really refreshing, and there's not. It's not often you can say that about a period film as well. That it actually brought you know a really sort of fresh eye to to something that a sort of contemporary issue like that. So I was I was really pleased with it. Re- really great discovery. Yeah, well you get that uh, <laughs> the opening where it shows you the kind of modern day, mm. and then cuts back. Uh, I, that totally threw me when I was first watching it. I was like, what on earth is this film about? And the, <laughs> the I didn't know that the title translated as a Sun Tribe myth. And uh, obviously that makes perfect sense but about halfway through the film. And you're thinking, well, a lot, a lot of the performances don't feel very period. All the setting is period, but the way that people are acting isn't, it doesn't, I don't know, maybe it is, but it doesn't feel too period. It feels more like the Sun Tribe films, the kind of like late 50s um sort of Nakatsu kind of teenagers having a good time and uh, mm. getting into mischief sort of thing, whereas the period setting is slightly different. And it, it all the way through, there's these odd tonal shifts, the the bombing subplot, which right. seems to come out of nowhere. And uh, and that obviously kind of feels more contemporary uh, than anything else. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And it was a crazy ending as well. I don't know, don't really want to spoil too much, I suppose, but the just the the tone of the ending and how it mm. the final moment that it leaves you on is just quite funny i think really <laughs> in may we got uh one release um it was the the murderer lives at number 21 which you mentioned earlier uh, it is uh, one that i'm i enjoyed it quite a bit uh, even though i could uh I, I wasn't as keen on it um but i, I recognized the like starting point of uh, Clouseau and how it all sort of leaves uh, you can see traces of his uh, greatness uh, further on but uh, Craig what did you think of the murder lives the 21 uh, yeah I really enjoyed it it's uh it feels very much like a kind of Sunday afternoon mystery thriller um, mm. you get very caught up in uh, I, d- I don't mean this as a slight because I absolutely love uh, Columbo but it made me think oddly of kind of sitting sitting down on a Sunday to watch an episode of Columbo and, and not actually meaning to sit down and watch an episode but when you're five minutes in then you're sucked straight into it and you uh you just want to find out what happens and uh yeah it it was a lot more fun than i was expecting it to be certainly as well but um i think it's very uh smart little thriller it plays a slightly 
tricky game with the idea that these kind of whodunits where you have to be able to try and figure out who actually did it and it kind of cheats in a way and doesn't let you figure <laughs> out <laughs> who did yeah. it um but i don't want to give that away for anyone but it's yeah it was uh definitely a very fun film and smartly directed as well really um kind of minimally taking just doing just enough that uh it kept it visually interesting but not distracting too much mm. yeah i mean I, I don't think it was it's obviously not as sort of flamboyant and audacious as a lot of Clouseau's later films but you know yeah it's it's a promising was it a debut was it actually his first i can't remember but um yeah it was yeah and, uh, you know, I liked it. I, I think, again, like what Craig was saying, I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a fun sort of whodunit kind of thing. And you've got a lot of echoes of uh, sort of British sort of spy thrillers, murder mysteries in there as well. And uh, it even sort of foreshadowed things. I, I, there were moments in it that reminded me of Peeping Tom, which obviously came much later. Mm. So you're seeing that. Uh, Pal is quite possibly drawing some some of the POV murder sequences and stuff like that, uh, you know. And then at the, at the centre of it, you've got this kind of sort of screwball comedy romance between uh, you know the two lead characters, and I, I think that all worked in its favour. You know, it's a it's a, it's a fairly modest film. It's I wasn't bowled over by it, but uh, it's I think Cluzo fans, yeah, completists should certainly. Uh, check it out and they'll be far more satisfied than they will be picking up fear and desire that's for sure <laughs> and as well if i think if anyone's looking for an entry point into Clouseau, if um mm. they might be potentially put off by some of his i don't know i mean they're not actually that audacious some of his late films but the murder he lives at uh 21 is such an easy entry point uh for a modern audience it's it's you know a pretty standard little whodunit so it's I don't think it would put people off too much if they were looking for an entry point into uh, getting into Clouseau, perhaps. Perhaps not Wages of Fear is the best place to start your Clouseau uh, watching. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, it is a great film. Uh, not that, but... <laughs> so in June, we got uh, three releases. Uh, we got two Shendo upgrades, uh, Naked Island and Kuroneko, and we also got Taboo. But um, Naked Island, I watched that one and... Um, I couldn't get into it. Uh, I need to. I need to watch it again. I know, but that film was. It was grueling for me to get through. I, I felt like I knew, I knew the punches that were coming, and I knew, I could, I, I could sense where the movie was going, and I wasn't. It didn't drag me along sort of way. I, I can't really explain my experience, but um, I just couldn't really care about any other characters. And if you don't, if especially that film, if you can't if you can't sympathize with the characters or empathize with them mm. uh, it really falls flat on you james what did you think of uh, naked i know it's one of your favorites yeah i mean i hadn't seen it before and uh it sort of took me by surprise i've been watching a fair amount of uh imamura showing imamura stuff which is you know he went through a great period of this kind of sort of man's relationship with nature and uh and mm. how it all sort of intertwines and writhes around uh, together and uh is is incredibly sort of codependent and uh you know shindo this was sort of shindo's transition uh between doing sort of far more politically aware sort of documentary style films and moving into something more commercial i mean because this ended up being quite a quite a big hit i think that he was then able mm. to move into doing stuff like onibaba and uh you know sort of seriously more commercial work and uh 
I wasn't really sure what to expect. I mean, I didn't, I hadn't really sort of read too much about it. I was just like, oh yeah, that's that's his film about farmers or something uh, on a, on an island, and I I didn't know going into it even that it was essentially a silent film. And I was about an hour in, and I was like, has anybody said anything? And I think that they have. <laughs> and uh, so I think it was things like that. The whole I just became so absorbed in uh, the sort of the day to day sort of like sort of Sisyphus style life that they're leading where, you know, they're just rolling that boulder up a cliff, you know, essentially. And every day they've got to do the same, you know, they're, they're, they're going down, picking up water, going back. There's just something so sort of repetitive with, and I don't know, a lot of people would probably find it monotonous, but I found it quite so sort of hypnotic. And I, I guess it just caught me on the right day in the right mood. And I was really drawn into it. And uh, mm. again, it looks beautiful you know, it's got this very stark black and white photography that uh, really, really works for me. And I guess, like you say, it, it entirely depends on whether you give a shit about these characters or not. And whether you say they should all just get on the boat and head back to the mainland and, never, <laughs> and, and just be gone. And, you know, and then you've got moments that range from, yeah, so you've got this this grueling repetition of them collecting water every day and watering this this mountain of ash, essentially, that's never going to moisten, to, like, this great sequence where they go to town for the day and they go on, they go on the day trip, they go sell fish and uh, go up on in the cable car and stuff, and you're just like, oh, wow, this feels like an Ozu film almost, you know? <laughs> and it was, you know, it was full of surprises for me in, in all kinds of different ways, and I think that's what you know really warmed me to it is that I did I didn't know what to expect going in and it it certainly wasn't what I was expecting having only seen uh Shindo's sort of horror films essentially Craig what about you uh yeah I mean I I kind of fall somewhere between the two of you I think uh I certainly gave a shit but uh (laughs) I I can appreciate it's <laughs> it's very dependent on your mood when you watch it, I think, and uh, it, it it can feel like a bit of a slog at times. But um, I think it's worth it. I I definitely agree with James. The cinematography is um, often startling, but mm. um, but yeah, it's a difficult watch. I think compared to something like uh, Kieran Echo, which is I think very enjoyable, uh, mm. it, The Naked Island certainly can feel like a hard watch. But um, if you can engage with it, I think it's certainly worthwhile. And the Imamura comparison, definitely. Uh, the kind of bleak rural uh, experience follows through quite a lot, I think. Hmm. I'm not sure how much this comparison will hold up, but uh, I watched uh, Leviathan uh, not long ago. Oh, yeah. And I feel that perhaps there's some some similarity in just its ethnographic uh, approach to uh, the characters and um, the day-to-day uh, struggles. Uh, you know, that was another film that I uh, really struggled with, but uh, that was something different. Um, it wasn't because of uh, any characters. It was just it's uh, jumping all over the place, uh, never settling down. Uh, but um, have any of you two watched uh, Leviathan? Yeah, I watched it quite recently, actually. Yeah, same here. Did you watch it uh, in the uh, in the theaters, or did you watch it at home? Unfortunately, I watched it at home. I want. Yeah. I wish I'd seen it in the cinema. Uh, now, yeah, me as but... well. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would have been in, in a quite different experience, just in terms of the the sound uh, mm. kind of uh, enveloping you uh, entirely. Oh, I think yeah, in like a Dolby Atmos theater yeah. or something like that, where it completely envelops you. 
I mean, I saw what they were doing. I got, I got it essentially. Um, but yeah, it, watching it at home in the middle of the afternoon wasn't wasn't ideal. And I kept sort of looking at my phone and stuff like that and doing stuff I knew I shouldn't be doing. But uh, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's no, that sounds horrible, doesn't it? But no, it's uh, no, it's a good film. <laughs> yeah, and I, re- I really liked sort of how they sort of changed the perspective of the cameras all the way through it. You know, so one minute you're kind of with the fish, and then you're you're sort of in the TV, and then you're over the front of the of the of the boat and stuff. And uh, you know, it, it it made you think about how it was made all the way through, mm. and you know, and that added with the sound design and what have you. It, it was. It was great, and I can see I can see where you're coming from with the Naked Island comparison, definitely. I think as well they're both two films that you can perhaps appreciate more than you might like them, maybe. But, yeah. Uh, uh, Leviathan, I, I really, really liked what they were doing, but I didn't really, really like watching it necessarily <laughs> or, or get a, gr- a massive amount from it. But I, I'm really glad that they've made that film, and I'm, I'm glad I got to see it, certainly. It's... Uh, yeah, very visually interesting, and yeah, I can totally see the Naked Island comparison too, and certainly the the approach to nature as well, and man's kind of interaction with nature too. Mm. Kuroneko was the next film that we uh, got in June, uh, which is such a great like Halloween ghost story film that um, it's sort of crazy. Uh, it takes off at the end with the. Uh, with the woman flying around, but it just keeps this sense of mystery and this sense of dread and yeah, a really enjoyable ghost story from Shindo. Uh, James, uh, you mentioned that one earlier. Yeah. I mean, for the, for me, this is like sort of the opposite end of, of Shindo's abilities really. Um, mm. You know, if you've got Naked Island at one end, you know, you go through Onibaba to Kuroneko, which is just this insanely hyper stylized, ghost story like you say where there's not a huge amount of of plot necessarily it's quite the plot's quite repetitive you know someone else turns up they ride it they ride into the forest and then uh, they get they get attacked and what have you and um for, for me it's a big i think oh yeah it's, it's great and it looks beautiful and i think it's as a visual exercise it's um it's it's a great success uh, it falls below onibaba just because i engage with the story and the characters a lot more i don't i didn't really feel for the characters so much in kuroneko it was it was Mm. more just about the look of the film and uh, the the mood that it was creating and i just sort of went with it for that um yeah i've seen it a couple of times i'm not sure that i've actually checked out um the master cinema package so i i cannot i cannot speak to to that specifically but uh but yeah, as a film, it's uh, it's it's a beautiful, a beautiful film for sure. You mentioned Onibaba and it's or Kuroneko and Onibaba. How they? It's interesting that they sort of deal with the same same uh, the same elements of uh, attacking and surviving, attacking um, uh, bypasses and surviving in the elements. Uh, I hadn't uh, thought about that one, but it will be interesting when we do an episode on Kuroneko to compare it to Onibaba. Mm. Craig, what did you think of uh, Kuroneko? Yeah, no, I, I like I, I kind of said before, it's uh, a very enjoyable film. I think, mm. like you say, as a Halloween film, it's kind of works very well. It's like a spooky little story, and a, there's a good tradition in Japanese film of uh, spooky cats too. So uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's quite nice to see another one of those. But um, yeah, it's one of the first uh, Japanese films I outside of the kind of the big ones like seven samurai things like that it's one of the first ones i watched uh 
when I was younger. I can't, God knows how I saw it, probably on BBC Two or something. But it, yeah, it really stuck with me. And uh, even when I, I'm not sure I knew what it was, I could certainly recall scenes from it. Um, so I, yeah, I'm a big fan of it to be honest. And I was quite happy to see a Blu-ray of it, which which looks good. It's not. There's something slightly off about some of the Japanese releases. I think um, mm. they never look quite right in some sort of way. But um, I'm not sure if it's something to do with how they're they're transferred. But it it looks very good, having said that. But um, yeah, so it was great to see it on Blu-ray. The uh, the final film we got in June was uh, the Murnau and Flaherty collaboration Taboo, which got a Blu-ray and DVD release. Um, a really striking film uh, and really uh, different and experimental film. Uh, something that brings something different to the Masters of Cinema collection, I feel. James, uh, the Taboo uh, film, have you been able to watch that? I have seen it. I was very lucky, actually. This time last year in um, Hong Kong, there was a big uh, retrospective, I think it's touring the world, they, of um, Fritz Lang and Murnau. And showing like all mm. that, a whole, a very uh, big proportion of their films on the big screen, and so I actually got to see Taboo on like New Year's Day or something, uh, on the big screen, which is which was uh, fantastic. I hadn't seen it before. It was actually a film. I mean, I remember I first heard about the film when the Master Cinema DVD came out, um, because I was working in retail at the time, and I remember you know picking picking up a copy to put on the shelves and thinking, wait, what? Murnau is that? You know, is that that Murnau? You know, the Nosferatu <laughs> Murnau. He's made some film about the Polynesian islands or something. What? And you know, so I sort of read up on it then. But and then it, you know, and then I kind of, you know, life took over and I forgot about it for another sort of ten, fifteen years. And then I eventually got to yeah to see it just a, just a year ago. And it's it's a fascinating story. I mean, it's a fairly simple sort of mm. forbidden love story of you know it's a kind of Romeo and Juliet story almost of a you know, forbidden love and they have to run away because she's going to get married off to the rival clan leader so that the volcano doesn't erupt or something. Or so they don't all, <laughs> they don't all die or something like that. But um, I just remember fantastic... Something about religion. Yeah, something about you know, <laughs> gods and stuff. I don't know. Uh, you're not going to be confused with Joe versus the volcano, are you? <laughs> oh, you know what? That's it, was. it was Meg Ryan, wasn't it? Um, doesn't she play twins in that film? Okay. Anyway. She does, yeah. Um, <laughs> So yes, I'm completely confused. It was, uh, but no, it was great, and uh, you know, excellent photography, all done on location out in, I want to say, Fiji or Samoa or somewhere, somewhere like that, out in the South Seas, and uh, and it, you know, it looks great, and it's weird how they kind of um, when they're on the run and they have to start sort of interacting with slightly sort of bigger communities and stuff. It sort of takes mm. a sort of strange turn in the in the third act and you realize that it's uh that they're kind of yeah they're kind of living in an isolated life that's not that, that could be set hundreds of years ago but but isn't and uh hmm. i haven't yeah again it, it's not one that i've actually checked out this particular release of but it's uh yeah it's, it's a surprisingly like I say, very accessible film enjoyable film you know very simple story but it's all about just uh, a very exotic uh you know, feel to it or very exotic flavor to it. Or, I mean, obviously that's helped by the actual locations, but, uh, it's, it's just a fascinating idea that Murnau would, would, you know, get this U S funded project together and, and head off into, uh, into the South seas. And it's a, it's a, it's a, a one of a kind project for sure. 
Yeah, I, I think that's really the the key, isn't it? Like, I, I agree with James about the story. Like, I'm not sure I really cared too much about the story, and I, I even lost interest to the degree of not really paying too much attention to the story because I was enjoying the visuals and kind of like how unique it was. And when you say exotic, it's it's exotic in the sense that it's in Tahiti, but it's exotic in terms of the time, uh, the fact that Murnau's, like you say, the fact that Murnau's making it, it feels exotic in the sense that it's so odd that it exists. And uh, there's a there's a few films in the collection this year and throughout the, the series that I think represent a time and a place. And uh, there's another one coming up in a minute, I think, that we're going to speak about, but that, mm. that do kind of represent a moment that you, you need to see, I think. And uh, I'm mm. so happy that we... We get to see this time and place uh, that it, that it exists, and yeah, the story. I mean, it. Yeah, I, I, that wasn't really the key for me. It's the visuals and the the location. Have any of you two seen the um, uh, taboo film that came out last year? I think from Miguel Gomez. Yes, I did. Yeah, with the baby crocodile. <laughs> uh, at least that's supposed to. Yeah, I, I remember it got it got a huge amount of buzz and praise, and everybody mm. was lauding it as the film of the year, and you know this this great discovery. And I saw it, and I soon forgot it. It yeah. was, yeah. I mean, I liked the kind of flashbacks to the safari adventurer ancestor you know <laughs> stuff and it kind of almost felt like a Wes Anderson kind of thing going on you know <laughs> and I was like okay this is kind of entertaining and then it's uh, yeah and then and then it, it had this whole sort of second half about I can't even remember which order everything happened in there was a, a there's there was a before and an after and I know that they reversed them from the order that they mm. happen in in Murnau's to do but no very very little of it and stuck with me apart from yeah safari great uncle and uh, the pet crocodile and <laughs> lots of lots of lounging around a pool but yeah i, I kind of feel the same it uh <laughs> oh, good. i didn't really get i did <laughs> yeah uh we have to disagree a bit more but the the uh <laughs> the, i the buzz didn't all the hype around it it felt like buzz and hype it felt like those sort of catch words but they i didn't get it i I feel like I missed something when I watched it. I, I'm tempted to watch it again to see if there was some great essence to it that I was missing, but it didn't really click with me at all. And like you, I I walked away from it with it just disappearing out of my mind as I as I walked further from the cinema. So um, yeah, it didn't really didn't really fall with me. Tom should have been on this show because I know he's a big fan of that film and he would probably berate oh. us for not liking it. But... <laughs> or just explain to me why. I, that's kind yeah. of what I want whenever... No, probably berate us. <laughs> <laughs> I often went, when a film doesn't click with me like that, I really want someone to just sit down with me for 10 minutes and explain to me why they like it so much so that I can kind yeah. of better understand it. But um, yeah, it didn't, didn't click with me at all. So which film would you pick up from the uh, second quarter uh, of these seven releases? If it has to be one, I would I'll go uh, Japanese again. I'm afraid, and do uh, Bakumatsu Taioden just because if we if we're looking for a discovery, that's you know that just came out of nowhere for me and was fantastic. Mm. If you want a uh, sort of a, a pillar of film history, then Taboo is a good one. Yeah, I think I think Taboo's the kind of the essential release from that that lot. I think I mean I could. Happily recommend all of them, I think. But um, mm. yeah, t- Taboo's the one that just stands out as something that 
needs to be on your shelf, I think. These uh, recommendations uh, will be getting harder and harder as we get um, further along the year, but uh, Bakumatsu then was definitely the one that surprised me the most, uh, so I think I would have to agree with that one. Um, but we talked about uh, films that uh, you have to see in it uh, to just in terms of uh, understanding the uh, the history of film and uh, the next release in the third quarter in July was Birth of a Nation. And I watched this one um, just uh, last week, I think. And I had seen it before in cinema studies, but I think I left after 45 minutes or something where I, in my naive uh, student um, experience, I just thought that, okay, I'm getting... I know what he's getting at, and I don't need to see the rest of this film. It's three hours, and I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. But when I watched it this time, I could just appreciate it a lot more, uh, just in terms of the um, film technique and uh, how he's um, how he's constructing film grammar throughout the film. Even though the the film itself, uh, in terms of the story, it's not. I still feel that it's not very interesting story-wise, but just in terms of the the film technique and grammar, it's uh, such an experience. James, what did you or Craig? Sorry, uh, what did you think of the, this film? You mentioned it earlier. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably in a way one of their most important re- releases of the year, but it's certainly not a film I like at all. Uh, um, <laughs> but it's one of those ones that I think everyone needs to watch, and I think is very worthwhile for multiple reasons um but to speak to the kind of film grammar thing it's i always find it odd when it's taught in i learned i watched it uh, during my film studies degree and it, it was taught very much as something that kind of broke the ground but the the further and further i get away from that uh, the more i watch kind of other films that kind of surprised me quite how much there was of what he did already out there when he did it mm. um so i wonder if it does hold this odd position of just being the one that everyone mentions but but i think Mm. it's an incredibly important film anyway just because of its success and how deeply offensive it is at times but that's (laughs) uh that's obviously quite important to understand that um uh we need to know how people were thinking at the time i think or at least get some some understanding of it so i think it's very historically important uh, that the film is is available to watch and available to watch in the best possible circumstances. But yeah, I mean, in, in some respects, I hate this film. So it's it's kind of a, mm. a weird way to say I'm so glad they released it and I'd recommend that people bought it. But at the same time, I I hate most of the most of the film <laughs> or what it stands for. It's a, it's an oddity, really. Yeah, it's interesting because it's interesting because even at the time that it was made, it was already a very controversial stance that he was taking with it. And I think that's that's something that, you know, I, my my knowledge of American history isn't isn't rock solid by any stretch, and uh, you know, so even what I think what one of the things about the film that fascinates me is that it was actually responsible for a resurgence in in popularity of of the Ku Klux Klan and that they started using it for recruitment purposes and that actually a lot of people a lot of people uh, watching it in. 1915 or whatever uh, took against it and were like you know come on this is this this is outdated stuff I mean it wasn't out and out considered out and out racist but it was like come on you know you're behind the times a little bit with some of this some of this thinking but uh, hmm. you know and, and as you were saying for all of those reasons it's a film that you know is is despised and rightly so for its content but 
but yes, is such a, a pillar and such a landmark of uh, of uh, of the of the artistic field, really. But one of the things I was reading that was very interesting was that. Uh, what they were saying is, I think I think you were right that a, a lot of the techniques, you know, either he had used before, or other people had used before, but he sort of uh, brought them all together under one mm. sort of catch-all all production, essentially. And they were saying that so many of them, uh, I mean, this was introducing them all into the mainstream in a way that they hadn't really been exposed to before, you know, audiences or or other filmmakers, and that they it, they all got picked up so quickly. And so sort of um, wholesale by filmmakers everywhere that within about five years of A Birth of a Nation coming out, it, you know, the innovation of that film was essentially redundant because everything was now doing that. All these films mm. were doing that. And, and although that some of the stagings of like the battle scenes or isn't there even some night shooting, I think, during some of the battle sequences, um, no one really attempted that again for a little while. The actual sort of cross-cutting and, and some and the editing and some some of that stuff was <clears throat> yeah was just adapted so qu- ad- adopted so quickly by everybody else that uh it was like okay yeah it, it seemed old hat very very quickly and i think that was something that really interested me because you, you always go back and you look at a film as as old as this and everyone's like oh it was it was so innovative and that's and you really need sort of a, a glossary almost with you while you're watching it. Of, okay, so what was what was new here, and what was what was fresh, and what hadn't been done before, and then you can start sort of picking it apart and and really assessing how innovative it, it was, you know. And obviously that's the the benefit or the problems with the uh, some ninety years of hindsight, a hundred years or eighty years of hindsight or whatever. But um, hmm. yeah, I mean, again, it's not it's not a film that is particularly enjoyable. To watch, I mean, there are some set pieces. So, you know, some of the battle scenes are great. I think the, um, the you know, the murder, the assassination of of uh, of, of Lincoln is is uh, is is great. You know, that's that's a scene that's you know that everybody everybody should see, or you know, if they haven't seen. And then obviously the the Ku Klux Klan stuff at the end is just so ridiculous that uh, you have to watch it. But I don't think it's worth <laughs> three out three plus hours of your life. To, to sit through it all uh and it'd be quicker just to just to read the booklet i think and uh and, and learn its place in history i do think that pacing is deathly like it, if you watch kind of intolerance which is just a year or two later i think and intolerance mm. is you know it feels like a breeze to get through compared to the nation but the nation's <laughs> just oh, i don't know I feel, those kind of individual scenes where, that you mentioned that that do stand out but then i think it just feels like a slog to get through at times. I mean, uh, I watched, uh, uh, obviously, the big film event over here in the UK was uh, Napoleon uh, the week before last. And uh, that film's, you know, two and a half hours longer than Birth of a Nation, but honestly flew by for me. (laughs) And it it was a a reminder of how films like Birth of a Nation really are. It's not just because they're a silent film and people sometimes attribute silent films with being difficult to watch or something which i never really understand but um yeah you know sitting down in the cinema to watch a five and a half hour film about napoleon and uh, i was at the end just kind of wishing there was another five and a half hours but birth of a nation it's just i don't know i get an hour in and i'm kind of looking at my watch but um i think i think griffith kind of got better at pacing and uh got a little bit more adept at uh understanding the kind of peaks and troughs of a film. Hmm. 
the next film we got in July was um, Le Pont du Nord. Um, we got a Blu-ray and DVD release of this one, and it's one that I've uh, I've struggled with. I've watched it uh, a couple of times because uh, I was preparing for an episode that didn't come through, but it is a film that I, I still don't know what to make of it. Um, have any of you two watched it, Craig? Yeah, I have. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I I actually find it quite um, quite enjoyable to watch, actually. Um, mm. And it, I don't know, it feels a bit like computer chess, I suppose. I enjoyed it more than I thought there was much to it. I know it's, uh, to those people who are very much into Rivette and uh, French cinema, it's quite a big deal that this is getting a release this year. But um, I'm not sure I quite understand the high praise for it but mm. uh the, it, this was the film i was referring to when i mentioned taboo being about a time and a place i i think Le, okay. Le pont Nord's really interesting in the way it frames paris and uh, as they move around paris and you see the architecture and you see kind of how it looks and how how the people are as well at the time it's a, a kind of a view of paris that i didn't have before and a lot of the films kind of in the early 80s that i was seeing or certainly the ones i've seen from france always kind of show this slightly magical romantic idea of uh paris that um is very different to this kind of paranoid weird almost uh, almost alphaville sci-fi kind of paris that we see in the pont de nord mm. where you know there's all these kind of there's this suggestion that lots of the men round with trench coats on are all called max and they're they're <laughs> actually you know some conspiratory thing that she's she's paranoid about but uh, yeah I, I found it really um really quite enjoyable but um yeah I'm, I'm not sure the the depth that others are seeing really uh fell with me I'm not sure I fully understand it but it's um yeah it certainly is a time and place as well this is another one that interested me a great deal and another film that came out of nowhere I know you know a little bit about Rivette but this is uh this was pretty new to me if I'm honest hmm. yeah unfortunately this is one that I haven't seen um yeah, I'm, I'm aware of some of Rivette's work and I'm aware that people were excited about this one, but uh, uh, I, unfortunately I just haven't gotten to it yet. So I, yeah. I have nothing to contribute. <laughs> I think um, I would appreciate it more if I knew more about the socio-political context of the film. And I think it it has a lot to do about France's relationship with Europe from what I've gathered, but um, uh, I think I need to brush up on my historical knowledge yeah, I watched it quite recently, actually, and I, I couldn't help but think afterwards, I need to go and do some background reading and then have another mm. think about this film. And uh, I don't know, maybe what I just said will be completely meaningless <laughs> after I've had a bit of reading. But but if that's the case, it didn't it didn't come across in the film, which uh, I often think is ultimately the, the key, really. You shouldn't need yeah. the extra textual information for it to, to land with you, necessarily. Hmm. Another film that was set in Paris was Simon Killer, um, probably one of the most controversial releases in the film, just in terms of uh, a great discussion on forums, whether or not it deserves a place or not. Um, but I really enjoyed Simon Killer, actually. I know people have had their gripes with it, but I found it um, incredibly stylized and a stylish film that um, I couldn't see what the big fuss was about that this didn't deserve or whatever deserves film but uh, that I felt like this uh, ha it earns this place among the collection as well as uh, any other film I feel. Uh, James uh, have you seen uh, Simon Killer? Uh, I have and um, 
well <laughs> <laughs> let's say i was you know when they when they announced the film i hadn't seen it and i was encouraged that they were and that, you know this was the first new release if you like sort of a, of a new film um that, that they had brought to the collection since probably tokyo sonata so it had been it had been like a few years and i was like okay great you know they're going to do some contemporary stuff as well and then they announced computer chess quickly after that i think i saw computer chess first and was like oh okay um <laughs> and then i saw this one soon afterwards and i was like yeah i'm not sure their taste in modern films is, is cinema is the same as mine but um <laughs> it's it's just very um unexceptional to be honest it was it's perfectly fine and i think it's an interesting idea and i think if somebody had pitched the film to me i would have been quite intrigued you know it's a young uh, american student uh, who is uh, getting over the breakup with his girlfriend and so he goes to paris and uh you know and then he gets involved with a prostitute and as uh, things go downhill from there essentially and it gets into some quite dark territory um what really sealed the deal for me though was after the film i watched one of the special features which is a, a an interview with the director where they talk about <laughs> about framing for the for the entire thing in such a way that just made me hate it even more i got to be honest <laughs> um, it was it was when you start an interview and the first question is uh if you were filming this interview uh how would you frame this how would you frame the interview and he sits there and take and deliberates the question for about 30 seconds and then gets up and they all move around and the camera is repositioned and uh, and they go from there and uh and then he yeah and then they managed to talk for at length about his framing decisions and what it means and what have you and i just thought to myself wow either he failed completely or i failed completely because I didn't notice anything special in the framing. Uh, I did, you know, he, they, hide, they illustrate the, the interview with some clips from the film, and you're like, oh, yeah, that is framed quite sort of interestingly. You know, he'll frame characters' midriffs rather than their heads or what have you. And, hmm. But I think it was the fact that I didn't really notice that during the film that I'm going to be arrogant and say that means it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, no, so I... I I guess I would. I, sh I need to go and watch it again, but that's something I haven't done, and I'm not. You know, I don't know. It's it's a film I really didn't like. I got to be honest. I just didn't mm. re really didn't like it. I didn't see what's so special about it, and I, I had think a complete his... opposite reaction that okay. you did uh, in terms of the extra material because I did notice the uh, framing that they were discussing afterwards, and it sort of just. I think it brought it up to another level for me when I saw the. Uh, the uh, supplements but i can understand uh, if you don't i can understand the uh, the opposite side if you know what i mean yeah i think okay, that's okay. funny i i was a third <laughs> option i suppose <laughs> but i spent a lot of the film thinking that's really unusual framing why has he done that and thinking to myself what's he trying to visually communicate and every single time well not maybe not every single time actually that's hyperbole but most of the time i was thinking that doesn't really communicate anything. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think I was spending a lot of the time watching it, thinking about these sort of things and, and thinking perhaps like when uh, you say it's uh, stylish, that that that's maybe the pro slight problem I had with the film, that it was stylish. But um, mm. I found it, 
it's odd because I liked it, but I did find it emotionally, narratively, thematically quite shallow, really. And um, hmm. I did think get the sense that they were reaching for things a lot of the time, but I don't think they got anywhere near them. Um, hmm. And the, the, the framing is a perfect example of it, that there was the definite intention to do something really interesting with the framing, but it just came across as just unusual rather than interesting or, you know, hmm. communicating anything that, that gives added value to the film beyond just going, oh, that's interesting. So, <laughs> yeah, I found it a little bit disappointing from that point of view, but it's certainly an interesting film in some ways. And uh, I don't know. It's, I think the problem with the its inclusion in the series is that the title of uh, the whole series is, of course, The Masters of Cinema. And uh, yeah. I think people do get perhaps a little hung up on the literal reading of that. But at the same time, when it's sitting alongside Murnau, it does kind of <laughs> make me think, really? Simon Killer? Uh, but I, I think I'm with James. I, I think to some degree my tastes just don't sit with um, the new films, don't quite sit the same. I thought maybe they did, especially after Johnny Toe got into the collection. But um, mm, yeah, right. I don't know. I wonder, it gets, I get the impression that this is Craig Kelly's kind of, uh, a couple of his love childs of sort of films that he really, um, really likes a lot. I spoke to Craig about it and i don't uh, i can't remember which one it was but it wasn't his uh, film i think it was um kevin's uh, oh really okay uh, from what i remember but um it's it's been some time i think he he champions the film but it, it was uh another person in the uh, organizations uh, it was his love child mm. that was probably the wrong phrase actually love child that's not what i mean is it but <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah the the next film uh, that we got in uh, August was the Tarnished Angels, the Douglas Sirk film. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but uh, I couldn't see the the rave that it was uh, getting from uh, the, the reviews I've been reading. But uh, enjoyable, uh, like sort of sinister dark uh, romance uh, from the fifties uh, about um, about a pilot or daring pilot and uh, a circus. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> um, James, have you seen the Tarnished Angels? Uh, I have. I, I saw it for the first time uh, when I was checking out this this copy, yeah. and um, I really got into it. I didn't know anything about it, and uh, you know, I was like, "Oh, Rock Hudson, I've heard of him," and uh, I, I realised that I hadn't seen a single Douglas Sirk film. I sort of looked up. I was like, "Oh yeah, Douglas Sirk. Okay, right, melodrama, fifties. Okay, I know what I'm doing." And then, you know, looked looked down his uh, filmography and realised I hadn't seen any of these. So I was like, "Okay, I'm I I, I don't know what to expect." And I really got into it. I like sort of anything with a, a sort of down on his luck, sort of pulpy journalist at the centre of it uh, is always a good start. And then mm. this uh, this idea of 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 a sort of travelling sort of gypsy-style circus troupe of former uh, fighter pilots who now do this sort of death-defying, uh, you know, stunt shows. I was just like, well, what's this doing in, like, a sort of 50s melodrama? This doesn't this doesn't sound right. This sounds too exciting to be in, a, <laughs> uh, in sort of a, a matinee kind of thing. And so I, I, I was really drawn to all these kind of maybe more sort of exotic elements of it. And then at the, at the center of it, you've got these weird love triangles, you know, the, the love triangle of the of the sort of family of of the uh, the pilot and then the, the 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 girl who performs on top of the the plane and then and the mechanic, you know, they have this very strange relationship and uh, particularly <clears throat> uh, the 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 main pilot, his uh, 
his passive aggressive or just aggressive aggressive way that he uh, <laughs> he treats this woman is quite absurd where they they essentially they roll dice to see who's going to marry her because she finds she discovers she's pregnant and they're like oh okay we've got to do something about this and so they roll the dice to see who's going to marry her because it's like they don't know who the father is and neither you know and, and it's just got all these things these sort of really intriguing elements to it and then in walks um rock hudson and immediately sort of gets involved and gets his hands dirty with it all and makes friends and enemies with all of them and uh yeah i, I just really got into it you know i thought I, you know I, I came prepared for a melodrama so i watched it in the afternoon you know and with a cup of tea and i'm like okay i'm ready for this <laughs> and, uh, and it just it really hit the sweet spot and it was it was perfect and it looked stunning you know, again, mm. I'm a I'm a real sucker for sort of high contrast, black and white, sort of moody expressionist photography, and that really worked for me. And then um, I think the icing on the cake really was then rewatching it with the uh, audio commentary. So uh, an Australian uh, film historian whose name escapes me at the moment um, did probably one of the one of the best audio commentaries I've heard. There are two audio commentaries this year that I really want to want a champion and this was the first one it was just so uh intelligent and informative uh, but yet just so easy to listen to at the same time it was uh it was a it was a real treat and just made you appreciate the film all, all the more i mean i what I, I watched them in quick succession like that you know watched the mm. audio commentary very soon after watching it perhaps even on the same day and i immediately just wanted to watch the film again and uh you know that that's that's very rare and uh, so yeah so this has been another really great discovery for me this year and it's you know it's seemingly in sitting in plain sight you know it's got a-list hollywood stars and it's a it's a big director and it's from a a period that i enjoy so uh so yeah all the better hmm. yeah i, I <laughs> i'm quite a certain fan actually and uh i did the i suppose what might be the opposite of james and i watched it uh about two in the morning with a cup of coffee and uh, it didn't sit right at all uh so i actually don't really want to say too much about it because I don't think I feel like I gave it a fair shake. I was too tired and uh, it didn't really engage with me in the way that a lot of Cirque's films generally do. So uh, I'd certainly like to take another look at it before I kind of make up my mind really. But I could definitely agree regarding how it looks. Um, I mean, Cirque's just, just, his films are just all beautiful. They're just <laughs> uh, <laughs> films that I can just watch with the sound off and just happily just stare and gawp at how good they look but um yeah the story didn't really grip me as uh as i kind of expected it to so i'm going to take another mm. look at it i think before I, before i make my mind up yeah the um september release uh, we got lanotte the upgrade um an incredible experience I, i've never seen this film before so i watched it uh, this week and it was such an experience just uh, the way they are traveling through the city and how everything's played out during this one night, but it's sort of the, I feel like this is what uh, Antonioni is about. Not that I've seen many of his films before what I've read and what I've heard about him. This sort of epitomizes his entire um, style. James, what did you think of Lenotto? Okay. Uh, let's keep this, keep this short and sweet. <laughs> uh, um, Antonioni from this period, I've, I have trouble with, and I haven't seen a great many of them. I, I do not like La Ventura at all. Uh, mm. I have tried to watch this twice. I've fallen asleep both times. Um, okay. I like Antonioni's later work, like Zabriskie Point and The Passenger and um, what was the other one I saw? Confessions of a something. I can't remember now. Um, 
but this one I, I I haven't got through it yet. I keep I keep starting it in the middle of the night, and that's probably not the best. I I will be even shorter actually because shamefully I haven't seen this one. It was one that I missed this year and haven't had a chance to catch up with yet. <laughs> so okay. uh, I do like Antonioni though, so I should uh, I should try and check it out as soon as possible. The next film uh, was one another Douglas Sirk film, uh, which I really responded to, which uh, A Time to Love and A Time to Die uh, just caught me right off uh, guard. And I saw it at a perfect time. I had my tea in my hand and kind of snuggled up in the bed and just watching this uh, incredible romance story. And not only was it a great story, but it was also interesting how he portrayed Germans with such sympathy sh- such a short time after uh, World War Two had uh, ended. Craig, what did you think about uh, Time to Love? Yeah, I love this film. Uh, <laughs> I did actually watch it on a Sunday afternoon with a cup of tea. So <laughs> I think my girlfriend yeah. even made a pot of tea. So uh, maybe that is the <laughs> key that... Uh, I actually just need to watch films with their tea. <laughs> but um, yeah, I absolutely love this. Uh, and like you say, that I thought I found the love story to be so gripping and the, the mm. extra levels that there were to the film. There's some really, really just kind of quite disturbing sequences. Uh, with um, There's a moment where a, a Gestapo officer is at a piano and he's talking about how the, he kills people. And it's just, mm. oh, it's brutal and... Uh, there's a kind of a, a bleak cameo from uh, Klaus Kinski as well. Um, but it's, yeah, it just consumed me, I think, this film. I absolutely loved it. It was everything I like about Cirque as well, that he can uh, build these kind of romantic melodramas, but underneath them there's so much depth and extra levels to it that that say a lot about the time that they were made and say a lot generally as well about um, kind of moral ideas and ethical ideas and... Uh, like you say, being made so shortly after is just, it's kind of astounding really that this, I kept, mm. I kept sitting there thinking this, they're actually talking about, you know, German people in this way that I just, I can't quite believe so short after short period mm. afterwards, that that was something that people in Hollywood were, were kind of happy to go hell for leather in that direction, that they could be so sympathetic, which is, is kind of fantastic in a way. But um, mm. yeah, it was quite a, that was quite a surprise to me, but how much I loved it wasn't too much of a surprise as I do like Cirque quite a lot. But uh, I'd said in 2012, I think I'd written somewhere that my greatest hope for 2013 was that they'd release a ton of Douglas Cirque films because <laughs> I, <laughs> I felt like they all needed to be seen on Blu-ray because they uh, always look so beautiful. But this one, the, the cinematography is stunning. The, the colours just pop yeah. out on the Blu-ray as well. Right. Well, I uh, this is great news because you know, having been turned on to Cirque by uh, the Tarnished Angels, I, I got my copy of A Time to Love and A Time to Die, and I was like, okay, this is going to be fantastic. I love a good war movie. I love a good uh, a good melodrama <laughs> in the afternoon, and I have yet to find time to watch it. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've just spurred me on even more, and uh, so I'll have to squeeze it in before the end of the year for sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, no, it, it looks it looks great, and I'm very pleased to hear that it is a it is a good one. There's also, um, just say very quickly, there's also, uh, there's always Tomorrow was uh, one of the DVD only releases, which um, if you haven't got that one's worth picking up. I don't know, maybe they'll do a Blu-ray upgrade, uh, Blu-ray upgrade, <laughs> but uh, that's another Cirque in the Master Cinema series that's very good. Um, the final film we got in uh, the third quarter was uh, Van Gogh uh, in a Blu-ray and DVD. And uh, I had never heard of this film before, but at two and a half hours, it kept me... It kept me interested and it kept me engaged in the story throughout. 
and uh, I really appreciated just how uh, painterly it feels, even though it's about Van Gogh and we never see him paint, but we always get a sense that the camera is portraying his uh, paintings. What did you uh, think of Van Gogh, uh, Craig? I didn't see this one, I'm afraid. Uh, I think okay. as the as the year goes on, it's uh, getting to the point where there's a few that I, I need, still need to catch up with and haven't had the chance, unfortunately. Hmm. And James? Uh, I have seen it. I mean, I, I am in the similar boat to Craig in a way that, you know, there are starting to be holes in my coverage from now on. But um, <laughs> yeah, I I remember when this film first came out in like 90 or 91 or some sometime around then and um, missed it then. So I was like, OK, I'm very keen. And I saw some early reviews come out before I had time to watch it, saying that it was uh, it was a masterpiece and worthy of, uh, you know, revisiting and championing and all the rest of it. And I stuck it on. And it was an interminable chore. I'm sorry, but it was it was very it was beautiful. And the actor, who I believe is actually a, uh, like a pop star or a rock star or something, and he's he's not really an actor. The guy who plays Van Gogh is, uh, uh, you know, this is not his profession, and he he's great. You know, he's completely fragile and uh, helpless and uh, sort of rather cutthroat in his uh, in his in his lifestyle and and the way that he sort of takes advantage of people and what have you. But it just it just kind of went on and on and on and it didn't really have any structure. I felt it just kind of meandered. And I know some people really love that. And given, given the right content, I can really embrace that kind of, uh, that kind of film naked Island, for example, you know, that, that does not have hmm. a story, but here, I, yeah, I just, I just couldn't find a way in. And although it looked very like painterly, as you said, you know, aesthetically and it was it was beautiful to look at there was you could feel a real sort of earthy quality to the surroundings and what have you um i just couldn't i i, I just wasn't interested there was nothing nothing really sort of caught my interest and i i stuck it out to the end but it was it was hard work so uh out of the three uh the, qu- the third quarter releases which one would you champion to pick up uh time to love and a time to die for me definitely yeah. same for me uh james Okay, uh, well, I'm going to say the the Tarnished Angels because that's the that's the one I saw, and uh, that yeah, that that's made yep. me made me a Cirque fan, even if it's the only one I've seen. Uh, so yes. okay, although although yeah, you could kind of say Birth of a Nation if you're putting together a university library of of films <laughs> or something. It's like yeah, I guess you need that one. But no, Tarnished Angels. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the fourth quarter, um, this is where I. I'm also getting these uh, blind spots, um, so I won't be able to contribute uh, much. But um, in October, we got uh, Dr. Mabuse Dashpila in Blu-ray. Um, I've not seen uh, neither this one nor the two other Mabuse films, but uh, have any of you two uh, watched this film or the two other films? Craig? I've seen one of the others, but I'm absolutely blanking on which one suddenly. Uh, I haven't seen this one, though, uh, but I certainly enjoyed the other one. And I, uh, I think the, the Testament of Mabuse the was the one that was released yeah, earlier. Yeah, that's the one I've Because yeah. it was a DVD box set originally of the three films, yeah. wasn't it? And I kind of I kind of wish they'd just put out a Blu-ray box set and then I could just uh, yeah. go through all of them. <laughs> because part of me just thinks, well, maybe I could watch all three of them now but then i'd be watching one on dvd and it just doesn't seem quite right but uh that's just me being ocd i imagine but um <laughs> yeah I, i'm looking forward to seeing this certainly um yeah i have also only seen the testament of dr mabusi 
Um, and that was a bit frustrating because, again, that was the Master of Cinema Blu-ray that came out last year, I think, or, or the year before. And um, hmm. it was slightly frustrating that I, was, I knew I was watching a sequel before, <laughs> before watching the first one. And, uh, I mean, it's great. It's a really cool sort of uh, adventure film. It's like a spy film, and it's also kind of like this... Um, sort of Silence of the Lambs style thing where they've got this incarcerated supervillain who's sending messages out to the underworld to commit, go commit <laughs> crimes and stuff. And you know, oh, Brilliant. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, and it's got great car chases in it and all this kind of thing. And uh, uh, no, so, but the, the spiel I haven't, I haven't seen it, but it, that's one of his two part five hour silent epics, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's probably why I haven't watched it yet, but. <laughs> you need to put off a good chunk of time to That's get it. through this one yeah all that time i wasted on did... birth of a nation <laughs> did did you watch uh the nibelungen uh when that came out last year yes because that was that that was the other one that was five hours but that, i found that to be an absolute joy that film mm. yeah no likewise it was it was a breeze and it meant that when i watched django unchained i was like hey i know what they're talking about <laughs> The uh, the second release in October was uh, Red River, the Howard Hawks film. Um, again, I haven't had time to pick this up and watch it, but I, I think I watched it in cinema studies, but I can't remember it. So, uh, any of you two pick this one up? Yes, I do have it, but um, I haven't watched the Master Cinema copy, although I have seen the film before. But I can't; my memory's pretty hazy, and I don't remember it mm. really standing out much to me. I remember there being some uh, rather impressive shots of cattle driving but um nothing about it really sticks in my mind as being a particularly memorable hawks film so i've uh i definitely want to watch it again to see uh see how it stacks up against the others because uh you know things like scarface and big sleep uh kind of films that really quite formative films for me so it's um yeah it's something i definitely want to see and it i'm sure the kind of scope of it is going to look quite impressive uh, on blu-ray yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think I had seen it before on TV late at night a very, very long time ago. So I was quite keen to to, to get to this as, as quickly as I could. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. It's um, it feels like a bit it's got, a you know, a bit of the searches, a bit of Rio Bravo in there as well. I always like the idea of, um, you know, I, I, I'm not the biggest John Wayne fan. I like a good Western, but, I, you know, his his range isn't all that good. Mm. Although actually this is the one where famously John Ford said, Hey, I didn't know you could act after watching <laughs> it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good sort of, uh, it's a road movie essentially, you know, they're just driving cattle from, from Texas up to, they are supposed to be going up to Missouri cause it's just after the, the civil war. And so the South hasn't got any money, so they can't sell their cattle at a good price. So they're going to drive mm. it North. And then there's kind of a mutiny, uh, led by a very well, it's, it's Montgomery Clift in his uh, debut role, oh. I think, and um, he is uh, he sort of t- decides to take over and take take all the cattle somewhere else, and John Wayne just gets increasingly uh, deranged and uh, single minded and violent and all those all that good stuff. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's cool. It's good. It's good fun. Again, perfect sort of Sunday afternoon movie. Uh, hmm. And uh, and yeah, I mean, it's interesting that Hawks is uh, you know he's he's kind of remembered as as one of the great Western directors, but he he's only really made about five. But this one really, this one and um, and yeah, Rio Bravo is his other big one, and they yeah. because I think they're so iconic 
that uh, you know he he he's almost on like level playing field with uh, with John Ford. But yeah, it's really cool. If you like westerns, then it's it's great. I don't think well, who knows. Give it a try anyway. It'll it might turn you on to westerns. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to watching it. I'm a big western fan, so it will be one of my first uh, releases to pick up. Um, the final release that we got in October was the uh, Mizuguchi box set upgrade. And I haven't had time to watch um, any of the two previously released films, uh, nor any of the two uh, new released films that was included in the box set. But it, the packaging was incredible. The uh, the box, no, the booklet was uh, three hundred and fifty pages or something. It was like oh. a big brick. So uh, just an incredible release from uh, Massive Cinema, and one that I feel that will top many of our releases, if not uh, be in the top five at least. Craig, what did you think of the boxer? Um, I only dipped in to look at the transfers, uh, which looked fantastic. But I did watch the um, uh, the DVD box set when it was released. Um, I made my way through all of those films uh, when that, that DVD box set first came out. Um, mm. And yeah, I, they're startling, the, the films included. I mean, <laughs> the colour film's not his best. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I saw the other colour film that he made. Uh, I think he only made two. The The other one uh, had a restoration two years ago, I think. And that's so, so much better. So I was quite uh, quite surprised that that didn't get released as well. It's a bit of a shame, really. But um, this one, the story is quite, quite terrible. But the, the cinematography is just stunning. And uh, there's some, you know, people very familiar, obviously, with things like Sancho Deo. Um, but there's films like uh, Gion Biashi, which was new to me when I first watched uh, the box set. I didn't really know much about it, and that really surprised me. This kind of post-war uh, geisha tale that's uh, really enthralling, and uh, yeah, I was quite swept up by it. But um, yeah, it's it's oh, an amazing box set, really. <laughs> it's we need more yeah. of this sort of thing from not just Master Cinema, you know. And I appreciate the financial issues with that, but from every distributor, it should be should be getting on board this sort of thing a bit more. <laughs> this is a kind of really important release that we should be seeing all the time. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately I haven't really had a chance to sort of dip into this one. I've seen I've seen a couple of them before, but I think I was put off slightly because I I saw Ugetsu uh, a few years ago and I really liked that. And then I think earlier this year I watched uh Sanchi Deo, Sanchi the Bailiff and which everybody sort of says is an absolute masterpiece, one of his one of his best films. And I had real problems with it. I just found it incredibly bleak, uh, relentlessly so. Uh, and again, it, I watched it late at night, and it probably wasn't the best. But I, it just became so as if I was going on the journey with them almost. And that it was, I found it inc- incredibly not hard work, but just dour and uh, bleak and and depressing essentially. And I think that has slightly uh, put me off sort of going going in with both feet. I've got another one of his, Life of Oharu, um, but that's just kind of staring me down from the shelf going, I dare you, go on. <laughs> uh, so I need, to, I need to hear that not all of his films are like that and that he's got some nice light-hearted, whimsical efforts in there as well. And then I'll... Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure I it's... Uh... Isn't true. No, I'm not sure it's light-hearted or whimsical, but I'd say go uh, watch Gion Biashi. If I remember rightly, it's quite short as well, so it's uh, maybe have a go at that one. And uh, it's really quite charming. the The woman in it uh, is very good as well, and uh, she kind of kind of sucks you into the story quite quickly. So yeah, maybe check out that one and then 
go in from there. Okay. See, I, cause I always feel compelled when I've got a, like a box set like this to go through them in chronological order. Yeah. But, uh, Me as well. But I think that's I think that's probably not always the best way to do things because you, you get stuck on something and then you can never get past it. But hmm. all right, I'll try that one. Thank you. <laughs> um, in November we got the um, the classic, the uh, the masterpiece Nosferatu. We got a Blu-ray and DVD, and we also got a steelbook dual format release. Uh, I haven't had time to pick this up, but I've seen it, of course, and in there. It's just an, uh, a landmark in film history. Uh, James, uh, what do you think of uh, Nosferatu? Oh yeah, it's it's brilliant. It's a masterpiece, uh, and th- it looks fantastic. It's a whole new restoration. I already had the Master Cinema DVD release from what two thousand and eight mm. or something, uh, but this is a a new uh, HD re- um, restoration, and uh, it, it looks markedly better. I actually sort of switched from one to the other to sort of see how it looked, and it does look sort of noticeably better. You know, it's it's a film that any discerning film fan should have in their collection. I think it's, I think for me, it was probably the first silent film I saw beyond, you know, outside of sort of Charlie Chaplin shorts or something that would just happen to be on the TV. You know, it was the first film I actually sat down and thought, okay, I'm going to watch this. And I think that's possibly true for a fair number of people. It's a good sort of gateway, anyway. And, um, <laughs> Uh, and the release is, uh, yeah, it's not a simple port over. I mean, you actually lose one of the essays in the booklet, which I thought was kind of strange. I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe, you know, obviously some kind of uh, publishing issue there. Uh, so the booklet is slightly smaller, but uh, everything else is there intact. And, uh, yeah, in this in this new restoration, it just looks fabulous. And I think it's it's an absolutely essential purchase for everybody. Yeah, I <laughs> exactly the same. Really, I it was my first silent. I watched outside of shorts too, and uh, it's one of those ones where you're kind of happy that you go in, and everyone said it's a masterpiece, and you know it's such a defining film and stuff. And you go in, and you go, "Yep, yep, it is." And it's also a pleasure to watch. You know, it's uh, it's mm. not. Uh, it doesn't feel like homework in any way. And uh, this new release does look fantastic. The, the restoration is great. I, I vaguely remember some rumor that there was going to be another, yeah, another restoration uh, coming up soon. Yeah, uh, in I Germany. think I saw that. But yeah, there's going to be a German Blu-ray release of just another restoration. But I, I don't think that should put anyone off buying this one because this one certainly looks fantastic. But and it also, mm-hmm. the, I'm not a big fan of steelbooks generally because the part of me kind of gets a little bit of very silly guilt about uh, the packaging in itself being quite. <laughs> not exactly eco-friendly and also that uh they're often kind of when they come from the studios they're often just actually just trying to grab people's money rather than a, an effort to make something that looks nice but some of the master cinema ones do look great and this was God, it's got to be one of the best looking releases that they've put out this year in terms of packaging certainly but the the film itself looks wonderful too hmm. was this one of the the second commentary that you would like to highlight james Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the new the new yeah. commentary on there by David Callet mm. is the funniest audio commentary about like a serious <laughs> film I think I've ever heard. It's it's laugh out loud funny again and again and again <laughs> while he's making really sort of intelligent observations about the film. He's like poking fun at at the film all the way through in just a really sort of intelligent and uh, you know educational way at the same time. Um, mm. it just really took me by surprise I, I, I sort of put it on and I was just doing other stuff around the house and within like sort of 10 minutes I was just sat there watching the film again because he refers so much to what's going on and points out uh, sort of 
essentially inconsistencies with what we thought, think we already know about the film. I did the, I did the more, um, I went and did the other more educational, uh, more or the older commentary afterwards because I thought, okay, this is the new release. I'll, uh, I'll sort of compare, well, you know, the the new content as it were. And they're, you know, they're going on about about um, so sort of various locations and where that was and where that was, and uh, in in pretty standard f- uh, format. Whereas Callet comes in and goes, well, actually, that's not true. Uh, you know, <laughs> it directly refers to sort of this sort of pre-existing sort of history and uh, information about the film, and goes, okay, that's not right. What it is is this, and here they've actually used the same location as they did earlier, but they've just changed the lighting and the, and they just use a different tint and. It goes on like this. I mean, it's it's an absolute treat of an audio commentary. This is uh, yeah, this is the second one in in sort of so many months that is just uh, that they've really they've really knocked it out of the park. You can sit down and listen to so many sort of dour, dry, sort of snoozeworthy audio commentaries, and you know when you see that it's like a film historian rather than like the director or someone, you tend to be a little bit wary. You're like, okay. Here, here comes this lecture about sort of uh, German expressionism, or whatever. And wow, this guy, this guy was hilarious. He was really, really good. But I, I felt so much more informed afterwards than uh, than than watching the other commentary. It was, it was, it was great. They've done a really great job. His uh, commentary for City Girl as well is also excellent. So I'm looking forward to listening to his Nosferatu commentary. Yeah, he's done. He's done quite a few now, hasn't he? And uh, I think even outside of Master Cinema, I seem to remember watching some color mm. commentaries and. They're always pretty enjoyable, and uh, yeah, he gets the tone right between factual and actually making you want to listen. Because <laughs> yeah. even as a, a diehard film fan, there's uh, some <laughs> some commentaries where there's just a list of facts, uh, and it just becomes like a trivia track essentially, and uh, they can become quite quite dull. But uh, Callot seems to manage to keep them nice and interesting and engaging. Um, the final release that we have gotten in the fourth quarter is the World Cinema Foundation Volume 1 with Dry Summer, Trances and Revenge, uh, a dual format box set. And uh, I watched these three releases on Hulu Plus uh, during this week and Dry Summer was definitely the one that stood out for me as just an incredible, entertaining, thrilling film. Um, Trances, I felt it... If you have an interest for Arabian music, um, you will be entertained. But I'm not sure how well you, you will appreciate the film if you if you don't like listening to Arab music. And Revenge was one that I need to watch again. I, uh, it, it just caught me off guard, and I didn't really uh, get into the the uh, the tone of it and the uh, the flow of the film. But um, James, what did you think of the World Cinema Foundation book set? Yeah, I, I really liked it. I was quite pleasantly surprised. I was I thought it might be a bit sort of dry, a bit austere, or something like that. But uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I started with Dry Summer, and I was I got really into that. You know, it's a very kind mm. of sort of Shakespearean revenge movie in some respects. You know, about sort of betraying your loved ones and uh, you know, out for money. It felt almost like kind of Merchant of Venice or something like that. Where hmm. he's he's trying to cheat the community, uh, you know, it's keeping their water from them, and uh, you know he pays the penalty. But uh, yeah, I, I really really liked it. And the, the the only thing that jarred with me slightly was all the uh, all the post synced uh, audio, which gave it this kind of sort of strangely sort of otherworldly quality. It made him seem even more hmm. sort of uh, 
kind of deranged and crazy because he was obviously sort of <laughs> post synced, which was kind of funny. But uh, yeah, very very cool film, all about uh, yeah, sort of greed, greed and lust and uh, all that good stuff. Um, and then Trances was probably my least favorite of the three, to be honest. Uh, mm. You know, it's what a Moroccan. The Moroccan band, a documentary about this, a rock, Moroccan band who used sort of traditional instruments and and uh, music in the sort of sixties and seventies uh, to try and tap into a, a modern audience. And if I'm honest, I kind of put it on and then wandered around a little bit. And the I mean, because I thought, okay, well, the music will be will be enough for me to get the idea of it. And so I missed a bit of what they were saying in one or two of the of the, of the interview parts. But I know that they were quite politically active as well. Um, hmm. Although my girlfriend now refers to that one as the uh, the annoying music movie, um, because <laughs> <laughs> she was in the other room and she was just, she just kept coming out and kind of going, "What is this? What is? Can you just turn this off?" Because it was just uh, sort of relentless. But then, what can I say? She clearly has no account, no accounting for taste whatsoever. But uh, <laughs> it was good. And that and watching the introductions with Scorsese, you could tell that this was actually the one he was most felt most personally about. He said it was the first film that the foundation. Uh, restored and that it was something that he watched a lot I think while he was editing King of Comedy he said he had it on a lot and then uh, the, the soundtrack informed uh, the, how, he, how he approached the music and the, the style for uh, Last Temptation of Christ which he tried to put together straight after King of Comedy but then failed and then got it together later but uh, anyway hmm. I think, um, he, I think Revenge... he actually put a uh, sorry to, I think he put a track in from the band in Last Temptation of Christ as well. I might have got the wrong end of the stick. Oh, there, cool. I'm pretty, okay. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure there's a track on the soundtrack from them in Last Temptation. Oh, excellent. Well, yeah, that would make perfect sense. Yeah, he, he, he credits it as a direct inspiration. But no, for me, Revenge was the was the best one, I think. Um, okay. Just the way... I mean, you, you do have to really sort of pay attention because it's this strange sort of chain of events, knock-on of... Um, mm you know, of incident and it's quite, and sometimes it jumps years and the actor changes, you know, it's the character suddenly 10 years later and you're like, Oh, what? Okay. And it'd be quite <laughs> difficult to pay attention to, to, you know, be quite easy to, to miss certain elements. But, um, it's this idea of, it's not about a revenge story. Well, it, it is, but it's, you know, it's about the, the idea of revenge. It's a bit like there was a film a few years ago from, was it Austria? called called revenge revanche which mm. was the, the you know which was a film all about somebody mulling over the fact that he has to go and get revenge for something and this is the story of a of a young lad who is essentially groomed to be uh, the angel of vengeance for a a a sort of rural family whose uh, little girl was murdered by a, a a disgruntled teacher and so the the father goes out and remarries just so he can have another kid who can, so he can raise him to become this guy <laughs> who is then going to go and murder. It's like really okay, this is your plan. It's like something out of old boy, <laughs> but uh, it's um, you know, and I don't know. It really it really worked for me because it has it has this balance between sort of vengeance and all this, and there's a a kind of a sort of spiritual tone to it all. You know, it feels kind of quite Buddhist and quite Zen in the way that it's approaching the material and uh and and the way that it's shot it's it's very sort of dreamlike very soft focus i mean there are some there's some startling imagery at one point they set a 
a rat on fire and there's this rat running around yeah. the village sort of on fire. And I'm not sure how they did that other than setting a rat on fire. But um, if you are if you are sensitive to animal rights, uh, Dry Summer and Revenge has some disturbing images. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a uh, a Peter friendly box set, <laughs> but uh, but no, I was yeah, I was pleasantly surprised by how how much fun the films were, how accessible they were, how different they all are, and uh, you know, I mean, if you're looking for through lines between the three, there isn't really one, and I, I quite liked no. I quite liked the fact that they're. You know, these are just that they're not really, obviously drawn to one one way or the other. You know, they're really kind of going out of their way to pick up some uh, very different films. I mean, I know that they've picked up the classic nineteen sixty uh, South South Korean film, The Housemaid, as well. Because mm. uh, I know that it's come out in three territories so far, three box sets. The Criterion have brought out a box set with six films. Uh, France has brought out a box set. And obviously, Master Cinemas have in the, in the UK, and they've all got slightly different content. They don't all have the same films. Like, there's at least one film that Master Cin. I think Revenge is not in the Criterion box set, for example. Okay. So, you know, we know we're going to get them all eventually, but uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. No, I, I, I was, I, I think it's great. Um, yeah, well, <laughs> I got the box set this week, and I. Uh... I valiantly attempted to start watching it this morning without anywhere near enough time. So I'm halfway through watching Chances uh, just as we started recording, um, okay. which I was actually enjoying quite a lot. So um, I don't know if maybe hmm. that's – it didn't even occur to me that you might dislike the music and that would turn you off, but that obviously makes perfect sense. Uh, and, yeah, I didn't watch it with my girlfriend here. I know she wouldn't she wouldn't like it at all. Uh, <laughs> I would have had the same reaction you got, I think, James. But, um, yeah, I was really enjoying it. And I think uh, – what I would say is it's it's actually quite I, it did occur to me that oh I could probably slightly drift off a little bit whilst the um uh music was playing but uh actually the lyrics are quite um quite important to the story I think and uh, of the band uh, so it's quite important I think to read the read the lyrics on screen uh that are subtitled but um yeah I was really enjoying it but obviously I can't speak too much as I, <laughs> I still haven't finished it and I haven't seen the other two but um yeah, I'm I'm really quite excited about this set and uh, the potential for the future. I've only seen two of the films that are coming up: uh, the uh, A Bright Summer Day and The Housemaid, which I think is probably the one that everyone's seen because it's so been so readily available. Mm. But um, but I, I love both of those films, so that's certainly a good sign. And I, I really hope they get some more Edward Yang in the in the series. Definitely, uh, definitely. That was a bit of a wish list anyway, uh, director. I saw another film that they restored, I think, last year or the year before. It was uh, an Indonesian film called After the Curfew, uh, which is also very cool. And so hopefully that'll uh, appear in the coming years. Because you, you can go on the website, the uh, World Film, uh, World uh, Cinema Foundation website, and it shows you all the films that they've restored. And they've only been going about eight years. So they've only okay. restored about ten films. So, uh, yeah, they are all there. Um, I think that uh, most of cinema, they have said that they will be releasing about two box sets a year. So uh, we will probably be getting uh, a box set in the uh, second quarter um, of uh, 2014. But uh, I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, if we had to pick one, uh, or uh, Il Bidone, it will be released on the 30th of December in a dual format. Uh, I haven't seen uh, this one, so I can't speak to it. Um, mm. Have any of you two seen Il Bidone? 
No, that's no. that's got lost under no. a screener pile at the moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I just want to say one last thing about the uh, the World Cinema Project is mm. that um, I think what the way Master Cinema are doing it is really good. I think Criterion have really dropped the ball with this because they've released a box set with six films in it at quite a high price point, and no one's yeah. really going to have heard of all of these films. And I think. I think there'll be very, very few people who are going to be willing to to drop that amount of money and roll the dice and and blind buy essentially half a dozen weird, obscure art house films from around the from around the world. Whereas I think the way Master Cinema are doing it is very affordable. I mean, I think it's on their website right now at about sort of twenty eight quid or something like that, which is mm. you know, which is is fine really. You know, for three films that you know you you won't have seen. But they're very diverse, and uh, you know, even if you really, even if you find find one of them to your liking, then you've done okay. Uh, mm. And I think, you know, the way Criterion have approached it, they might end up really struggling to sell that set, and I think that's a real shame. It seems like their strategy is uh, releasing one box set a year um, mm. with uh, a bunch of films. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think the only thing that will act in their favour is that they have this deal with Hulu, and because they've put them on their uh, mm. Criterion Channel on the Hulu, on Hulu, that people can kind of try before they buy. So, um, but then I, I always worry with that sort of thing whether people then buy or whether they just try and go, yeah. oh, that was good, and then uh, move on to the next film. But um, mm. yeah, I, I wonder even at even with the three films in a set, I wonder if people will pick them up, and I really hope they do because it's going back to the thing I said before is you know it's discovery with the master cinema series for me that is always so exciting and uh, that set just there's three films that I just really know nothing about and I look through the list and there's a Mm. bunch of films that you know I can say I really want to see Edward Yang on on blu-ray because I already know his films but realistically what I want to see is an Edward Yang that I've never heard of I want to see that director or that film that is just completely new to me and these box sets really represent that and i'm for me and i'm sure they do for a lot of people that you know it's a bunch of films that you've probably never heard of and there's certainly quite a few people that have been involved in the restoration that think you should have heard of them so it's uh it's an exciting prospect so um which um release would you pick up from the fourth quarter which would you highlight well, it's tricky, really, because uh, there's, there's so many good ones. I mean, if I had to pick one, I'd just got to go with uh, the World Cinema Project because, um, you know, I'm I'm drawn to immediately knee-jerk and say Nosferatu or Red River, but people will have probably seen them. There are other ways to see them. I mean, they're great releases. I think Red River is the only Blu-ray release of the film anywhere at the moment. But mm. in the spirit of the Masters of Cinema, it's got to go to the World Cinema Project. I think. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it's... Nosferatu is it comes back to that thing again, like the best release where I, compared to the one that I think people should maybe get. The the best release, I suppose, is Nosferatu, but and it's fantastic and it's a masterpiece, and I think we probably all agree in these sort of things. But yeah, the World Cinema Foundation box set is just you know I haven't seen the films, but in a way I still kind of want to throw my weight behind it and support support it. Hmm. <laughs> just the concept of it is something that I'm very keen on. So hopefully, uh, when I see the films, hopefully I I'm not talking rubbish now but uh <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you'll issue a statement next week i retract everything <laughs> yeah yeah take back what i say but the the nosferatu it, it doesn't need any recommendations uh no. people will pick that up no matter what but world cinema foundation is really a fantastic release that people need to get their eyes up for but uh so that will get my vote as well and um, also, sorry, sorry just one quick thing also i really hope 
they keep doing it because obviously there's the yeah. the fear with these sort of box sets that if it's not successful they won't release another one so i, I hope people don't mm. think oh wait until it's much cheaper or something and and but i hope they just pick it up now because it's a, it's a pretty good bargain anyway i think it's a release mm. those were all the releases for 2013 what have you been most pleased about this year from muscle cinema james oh wow well, that they have signed a deal with the World Cinema Foundation. I think that's that's a great yeah. <laughs> a great thing. Um, other than that, I mean, I I like I like that they have released. Okay, this is going to sound sorry slightly odd, but I like that they are venturing into releasing uh, new films, even <clears> though I don't really like either of the films that they have chosen. I like that the mentality is there, that they're not uh, averse to the idea of. Uh, of of new titles and that they are exploring that venture, you know, hopefully they will uh, get more in line to my particular tastes and uh, I'll, I'll try <laughs> and have words and uh, see what we can do. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I like that that's part of their game plan. Um, uh, beyond that really, uh, you know, keep, you know, specifically, you know, keep doing what they're doing really. I think, yeah. I think they're, they're the two things really I, 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 that I've been specifically encouraged by this year and that they're not just, you know, doing, doing what Criterion is doing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think they're the, the big things I've seen this year that have encouraged me the most. Craig. Yeah. Uh, I think the, the surprises is the thing that I always come back to as being my favorite thing that they do. And they've done it again this year, not, not just in terms of surprising us with, Oh, I didn't realize they were going to release that, but surprising us with the films that they bring out as ones that were under the radar and that I wasn't that familiar with and then watch and I'm like, you know, wow, why have I never seen this film before? So uh, mm. I think that's the thing that's excited me the most. And obviously that feeds into the World Cinema Foundation. That deal that they've signed is, is part of that, I think. And uh, I'm very excited by that. And I think, it's not been represented quite as much this year, but it has to some degree. I'm glad that they're stay, sticking with releasing the kind of more, what I imagine are more costly and not that profitable, perhaps uh, silent films mm. that the older films that, I mean, I probably birth of nation was probably quite a big seller actually, but the, the silent films that, that I'm not sure the other studios, the big studios that own them and, the people that have the rights to them necessarily would have put the time and effort into otherwise. Um, and the fact that we're seeing these releases sometimes coming out over here and still not getting released, like, you know, films that were released by the Master Cinema still haven't had a release in America. And you think, wow, you know, if, if there's no one over there that's getting behind them, that's quite extraordinary. Um, so I, I really do applaud them for some of the releases that they've put out like that. Is there anything that you would like to see improved uh, next year? Not not only in terms of release, but just the the organization itself. Um, I think in terms <laughs> of like in terms of what sort of films they're going to put out and things like that. Do you mean? Um, yeah. For instance, uh, do you have any wish lists, or do you have anything that you would like to see change uh, from how Masters of Cinema are running things? Um, I think I'm quite happy with how they how they manage things. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people wish they teased a bit more and things like that, but I I don't mind that. I it can be fun to get caught up in but it's not the important fact and i think some people kind of lose sight of the actual films when they get caught up in the teasing mm. things with the criterion sometimes do but um i think i'd like to see a few more silence uh, uh i think the sort of big 
kind of stunning releases of silent films that they've put out are just amazing often so i'd like to see more of those and i'd like hopefully <laughs> i feel a bit like james as well i kind of hope they release some new films that i like a bit more um because they have <laughs> kind of returned they've returned to this because they did do it with uh tokyo sonata and also mad detective and um, I, it, it kind of baffles me that they've picked the ones they have especially in the year that drug war came out which i think is like johnny toe's best film in so long uh and it's just fantastic and i just think god it's such a shame they didn't put out uh drug war this year but and in terms of a wish list yeah i could go on all day but there's the <laughs> there's the films that i think stick in my mind that have had releases elsewhere that perhaps would benefit from having a uk release in terms of it'll get it on people's uh people will get the attention uh, they'll they'll notice mm. it more and also Master Cinema can do it better than it's been done elsewhere. I think of like someone like Whit Stillman and you know mm. Criterion have done a great job, but I don't I don't think they put out Barcelona. I might be wrong there, but you know there's the the odd film like that, and I've just picked up Twilight Times release of Leave Her to Heaven, which is fantastic. But I can't help but think Master Cinema would have done it a little bit better, and they if they had it, they would have kind of you know put some extras in there that I would have liked even more, or a booklet and things. So. It, although duplicates sometimes annoy me because I've got a multi-region player, so I, you know, I, I'll just pick up the American one if it's already out. Um, but I do hope if they pick up some duplicates, they do them better and they don't just release them the same. But I can't imagine they will. Um, I know that they're one of the modern or contemporary films that they would have liked to get uh, is uh, Upstream Color, the Shane Carruth film. Mm. But oh, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, so unfortunately that fell through, uh, which was really disappointing. It's funny you mentioned that film, actually, because I saw someone um, talking about this online only today, that the, if you go on like Amazon or somewhere and look at the UK release of, this, of that film, I think it's Metrodome bringing it out, um, the way they're handling the Blu-ray release and the way they're handling the DVD release could not be more different. Uh, they've got <laughs> completely different artwork, and the uh, synopsis of the film is completely different. The Blu-ray, it looks and sounds exactly like what Upstream Colour is. The uh, the DVD release makes it sound like some grisly serial killer film where a girl gets abducted <laughs> by a faceless killer and then released into the wild and she's been infected with something. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was going to mention, actually. I was going to say that oh, the, DVD, right, okay. the, DVD, the DVD cover is extraordinary. It's, uh, I mean, it doesn't surprise me because Metrodome pull this sort of stuff all the time. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, it's it's amazing. It looks like a really cheap, nasty horror film almost. It's it's weird. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah I, read I, the I, synopsis. It's... Yeah, <laughs> it's um, hilarious. But I I kind of baffled why they couldn't get it. I I mean, I, the whole Upstreet Come Upstreet Come Color release thing uh, was a bit confusing to me that it was so touted as being that he was in control and everything. Uh, but then you know there was a download that you could have, but it was limited to the America at first and. I don't know. It seemed like a weird, a weird release that I would have thought he would have given it to them. Because especially when you look mm -hmm. at um, Computer Chess, which was available as a DRM-free download uh, direct from the website that you could purchase worldwide, you know, before the Master Cinema release comes out, and then it got put on Netflix before the Master Cinema release came out. So it's mm. it can't be that they're stipulating that people can't do those things. So surely they're a, they're a great. Uh, great distributor to get on board with in the uk because you know your film's going to be get a good release and uh, uh good packaging and you won't get a horrible horror synopsis yeah 
do you have anything else you would like to discuss before we wrap this up? I would like to talk about their uh, their website. <laughs> the uh, the impossible labyrinth that is the Master Cinema <laughs> website. I, I, every time I go on their site, I get lost. It's it's the most uh, unuser friendly site. It seems that the actual site on the Eureka Video website is is not in any way connected to their web store. Mm. Um, maybe that's a maybe that's a legal thing. Maybe they're trying to pretend that they're two separate entities or something. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but uh, there's I, no I find link it... from their main site to their web store. Yeah, and I, yeah. And I find it. Impo- I always forget the URL for the web store because it's like slash offers slash new slash offers slash offers <laughs> or something. And it's just like what? <laughs> and uh, I, so I, I always have to go to their Facebook page and find a link and. Um, you know, I, I and it's it's just impossible. It's it just makes it so hard for me to give them money at times. <laughs> but uh, I don't understand it. I mean, how much how how much time and effort can it take just to just to, just to retool the website? I'm not sure. Mm. But that's yeah, that's my that's my biggest problem. I wonder why they don't just go. Okay, we need a new site. Let's just take it down and start again. Like I think people, I don't think they'd lose a lot in terms of sales or anything if the site went down for a period of time as well. So I don't know if that's what's no. what's stopping them. Which I don't know if that's that's such a big worry. But they, there was some talk. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Someone told me. <laughs> uh, I can't remember when. But uh, that they were going to put a button next to the films, basically like a buy now button, which is just all it really needs yeah. to help. But but you kind of want to just go onto the site go to a search box, type in the film you want, then that film mm. come up with a page and then a buy button next to it. That's kind of the the only part of the process that's really missing, like, uh, that's crucial. But well, that's not there at all. Like, it, you can't even go to the, the, the store itself from the main website, I don't think, which is baffling. What's weird is that some of them do have this buy now uh, button next to them and it takes you to Amazon. <laughs> it's like, well, if, you, if you're going to link somewhere... You link to your own shop. How about that? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is uh, that is related to the fact that if they sell copies on Amazon, um, people that are not looking for Master Cinema releases will see that it is on their charts. Sure. Yeah, I've heard that mm. from other I distributors, think, but yeah, surely so I think it's related to that. But I I know what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> I'd rather give my money directly to Master Cinema rather than to Amazon. <laughs> I mean, how much of a Master Cinema going to see of that? Yeah. yeah, it's the same as when you look at Criterion, and I, I am quite critical of the fact that Criterion refused to ship outside of America. It's just yeah. ridiculous that I go, they have these flash sales, and then I just sit there not buying anything, and then buy it all on Amazon at some other point, and I just think, well, I'd be more than happy to give you my money directly, but for some reason, like I can't even buy a T-shirt from Criterion without shipping it somewhere else first, <laughs> and I just think it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it's baffling. One thing that I I do really like the the layout for the mastersofcinema.com page. And uh, I think that something like that would just, just to incorporate that store into that page would be uh, the best solution for everyone. I'm not even sure if I've seen that page. They've got so many. Hang on. <laughs> um, it's it's a page where they uh, they have pictures of all their releases and you can click on each release and yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's through the Eureka You can sort video, by yeah. alphabetical and you can sort by year and director and yeah yeah okay okay yeah yeah yeah. it looks good but it's always it's always sort of quite out of date as well 
I mean, yeah. their, their front page has still got like their October releases yeah. on it. Autumn at last. <laughs> it's like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, that I'm, is true. Uh, yeah. It's uh, where where is the disconnect? I'm not sure. Somewhere somewhere it's mm. all it's all sort of falling. It seems apart. like it's an organisational thing that they don't have enough people on their staff yeah. to keep it up to date. I think they could probably mm. do with another ten people working there. But it would probably help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, so go buy those steel books. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Anything else you would like to discuss? That no, that was the big my big bone of contention was uh, the website and the and the dodgy artwork. But uh, mm. other than that, I, I I'm more than happy. I'm great that they exist. I'm great that they're doing what they're doing, and they're showing the diversity that they uh, that they are. And I just hope that they can uh, continue to do it. Uh, mm. So you know, I know it's it's a ridiculous thing to ask for, but I would like just more releases. I know it seems silly, <laughs> and you know, I know that, that Criterion spoils people by like releasing five or six every month, and that must be very expensive uh, for them to do. But um, you know, sometimes when there's a you know there's a there's a quarter, and there's like maybe three releases, it's you know it's uh, it's not enough. <laughs> Quite simply, you know, I I, I would I like more, like they... one a month at least. Uh, you know, one or two a month would be great. Yeah, I feel like they have hit that sort of sweet spot for me i think the the uh, the fused releases this year has been five releases in the mm. first quarter and they they they're around seven or six releases and in the fourth quarter they even got two box sets so at, at least for me who uh I, i'm still a student and i don't have a lot of money to throw around it's something like criterion it's impossible to keep up with but with master of cinema at least i can i still have the chance to keep up to date with their releases um but when i get a job and more money i still i, th- I think i want more releases then <laughs> yeah. it will all go on blu-ray so. yeah. <laughs> and we'll have no time to watch them unfortunately that's the thing i yeah I'd like yeah i definitely want i mean more of a good thing it's got to be better but um ultimately i don't know how many whether i'd necessarily watch them all and but i suppose you know i just want to get them but criterion does often pass me by a bit because I'd buy a lot of Criterions, but even still, there's so many where I'm a year later, I think, oh, God, yeah, they released that. And I, I kind of didn't pick it up. I didn't see it. Uh, so it's kind of good that Master Cinema, you can keep on top of them. But I certainly wouldn't complain if suddenly we had double. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay, so um, thank you so much for joining me, Craig and James. It's been a lot of fun talking with you both. Craig, where can we find you on the internet? Um, well, I... I'm working on a new project soon, which uh, I'll be announcing soon. So I'll, I'll kind of keep quiet about where I'm writing at the moment. But um, on Twitter, if you just find me at C Skinner on Twitter and uh, anything I do, I'll link to on there. And James? Uh, well, you can always find me at twitchfilm.com or, yeah, Twitter is the easiest thing, at Marshy00. And again, yeah, I, I pimp my stuff all day long. So <laughs> that's the best place to find me. <laughs> Um, this will be our last show of the year so have a good one and uh, we'll talk to you next year